Derek England off the defense, moves the puck to center. Here's Cosby with a burst of speed up the middle, gets open, scores! Welcome back, Sid! All right, it is November 22nd, 2011. Does November 22nd mean anything to you, Don? It does because I heard what's significant about it earlier today. That's right. It is the 48th anniversary of the most talked about death probably in the history of mankind. Yeah, probably. I don't think there's been more debate or discussion over a death than the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, which happened 48 years ago today in Dallas, Texas. Unbelievable. So two yeah. years away now from what will be the 50th a crazy yeah. 50th anniversary of an event. And I bring it up because we're going to do something special today. Well, let's start with this. Welcome. My name is Steve Bennett. I'm the host of the Sportscasters. My co-host is Don Russ. Hey. It is episode number 52 of season number one. Eventually, we're going to switch from season number one to season number two. Yeah, the question is, are we going to like take a break, or is it just going to be like one week to the next, boom, season two? Yeah, I think that's probably how it'll work out, because yeah. there's just never really a break in sports. No, there's that one day. That one day after the All-Star break, right? Right. But we didn't do it then. No. We probably won't wait till the next one. No. So my guess is when we get to a year, we'll probably reset to start the second year but anyway it's episode number 52 we have three great guests for you today we have john wertheim good friend of ours good friend of the podcast making his fifth appearance today which is kind of unbelievable and john authored the latest cover story in sports illustrated a special report the failure and shame of penn state and john's gonna join us to talk about this story that is never gonna end i don't think and maybe 48 years from now will be as talked about as the uh, Kennedy assassination. Let's hope so. I mean, because you don't want something worse to happen to supplant it as the worst thing ever to happen to college sports. Right. So John is going to talk to us about his experiences at State College. He was on campus from the Tuesday before the first game all the way through the game. And uh, we're going to get some really direct insight from uh, Mr. Wertheim about that. Also today, our first guest from the New York Times, sports television critic Richard Sandemir, is going to join us. He's a writer for the New York Times. First New York Times guest. We're excited about that. And also on the show today is Adam Rank, who is our good buddy Dave Damashek's most recent partner uh, for his NFL podcast. And he's also a comedian. I took some time to watch him on stand-up comedy. Pretty funny stuff. And uh, we're going to talk to Mr. Rank about comedy and working with Damashek and fantasy football and the NFL and all kinds of things like that. Uh, last week on the show, episode number 51, we were lucky enough to have Jeff Perlman, who talked about his book Sweetness. We also had Steve Russian on the show. We kind of had a 21st century media conversation with him that we're going to continue with Richard Sandemir today. And we also had Zach Rosenfield, formerly AccuScore Zach, now Sooner Zach, and Kind of talked about it a little bit at the end of last week, but 
What got into Zach last week? Yeah, I don't know. It was awesome, though. He was he was on fire. He was, and you can check that out still at www.sports-casters.com, episode number 51. It's right on the front of the page there. You can also find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Blog, uh, or Instacast, Downcast, all those kind of things that we've mentioned before. And another thing I want to mention before we get going today is I just finished my second week of doing live blogs at a site that is owned by the NFLPA called ProPlayerInsiders.com. So if you want to watch football with me on Sundays, you can do that at ProPlayerInsiders.com. So on the show today, we have John Wertheim, Richard Sandemir, Adam Rank. We're also going to do five on fantasy. We're going to do pick four. And instead of a book club update today, we're going to the big holiday shopping season starts in a couple of days with Black Friday, and we're going to have the Sportscasters Holiday Gift Guide. So we'll talk more about that after the John Wertheim interview. But before we can do any of that, we have to do three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever! <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. My first story this week uh, is kind of similar to one we had last week about how crazy college football was. Well, it may have gotten crazier this week as three top five teams lost and four top ten teams, uh, Oklahoma State, Lost to Iowa State in a game they were favored by like 26 points. Uh, Oklahoma lost to Baylor. USC beat Oregon. And NC State beat Clemson. So now we're looking at a setup for next week's game, Arkansas-LSU, where if Arkansas wins that game, we could have a whole mess of one-loss teams and two-loss teams that maybe deserve to be there. And you'll still have Houston at number 11, as the only undefeated team, even though uh, people don't really believe in them so much. Yeah, I mean, if you root for chaos, you're rooting for Arkansas. Absolutely. Because if Arkansas beats LSU on Friday, and that's a Friday game, don't forget that. Right. Like 2.30. Yeah, 2.30, right in the middle of the day. So if you go shopping early in the day, come home, take a nap, get ready for the big game. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how the SEC is worked out because – all three of those teams, Arkansas, Alabama, and LSU, are in the same side of the SEC. So only one of those three teams is going to be able to play in the SEC championship game. So it's not even like two of those teams will be able to play each other in the SEC championship game. So go back and listen to the interview with Zach. He kind of explains how that will work out much better than I can. But it seems like Arkansas almost has no cho- no chance to be in the conversation here at least initially, because of the way the SEC is going to handle their tiebreakers. So it will be interesting to see. It's also interesting to see how little Oklahoma State fell in the BCS rankings after their home loss to Iowa State. Oklahoma State is very much in this still. Uh, They can still be a factor. The big losers last week were Oregon and Oklahoma Oklahoma, because they – got everything they could have asked for just about had happened since their losses. And they just couldn't take advantage of it. And I'm sure Bob Stoops is still regretting his ill-fated timeout 
at the end of the game. I don't know if you saw this game, Don. But I did see uh, Sooner Zach's tweets about it, but no, I didn't see yeah, it. Yeah, Oklahoma had a furious late comeback and tied the game. They were going to go for two, but then there was a false start. So they didn't go for two. Instead, they went for one, tied the game. And with 52 seconds left, you thought, okay, Baylor, led by Robert Griffin III, is going to make a run here at trying to kick a winning field goal, but they handed the ball off on first down. And we're just going to run the clock out and go to overtime. Well, Bob Stoops called a timeout after they ran the ball the first time. And so then the, the strategy changed, and Baylor decided to go for it and ended up scoring a touchdown on basically the last play of the game. Now, his thought was obviously he probably wanted the ball back. He thought if they'd run it three times and they stopped him, he had three timeouts, he could get the ball back in regulation. For would whatever you, would reason, you do it again? Oh, God, no. I thought I didn't Take second play for guess the him. I first guessed him. Really? I first guessed him on the two point conversion. I thought it was stupid. And I first guessed him because I just thought I just think the more talented team has the advantage in college in football. College overtime. overtime, right. You don't have to worry about a coin toss. You're gonna get the ball. Right. The defense had made a couple of big stops late in the game already. Yeah, they didn't play great in the game. There was a lot of injuries. I mean, Oklahoma, look it. If they would have survived that game, they did, they don't have enough because they're just so injured. Okay. They have injuries all over. That it just wasn't going to happen from this year anyway. You know, you know, you start with Ryan Broyles and Dominic Whaley, and they had three cornerbacks out, and it just wasn't going to happen for them. But they definitely botched the game, and basically, we're looking at chaos ahead, especially <laughs> if Arkansas wins. If Arkansas doesn't win, you would assume LSU will be in the Number national one, championship right. game. But I still don't know who they should play. Yep. I don't know if it should be Alabama or Oklahoma State. I don't have a good answer for that, which is why this system is stupid. <laughs> it sure is. All right, my first thing today, we talked about it briefly last week. Justin Verlander was named not only the American League Cy Young winner this year, but he was also the American League MVP. He had 13 first-place votes, three second-place votes, three third-place votes, which I guess will show you that the voters either – Voted for him as first or basically didn't vote for him at all. Uh, Jacoby Ellsbury of the Boston Red Sox finished second about 38 points behind Verlander. He had four first-place votes. Uh, Jose Batista had five first-place votes. He's the first pitcher since Dennis Eckersley won the award in 1989. And he's the first starting pitcher since Roger Clemens won the award in 1986. So congratulations to Justin Verlander. Another interesting piece of this story, Ben Nicholson-Smith, our buddy from MajorLeagueBaseballTradeRumors.com, had a really interesting story. He noted that of the top 10 players in the AL MVP voting, none of them were free agent signings for their current teams. They were all either drafted or acquired in a trade, and then one person was a Latin American Robinson Cano is a Latin American signee. So no free agents in the top 10 this year. Interesting. And uh, today it was announced that the National League MVP award was given out, and that went to Brewer shortstop Ryan Braun. All right. Um, A former MVP himself, I believe. If not, I'm sure he will be. (laughs) Uh, Sidney Crosby made his return 
to the National Hockey League after what amounts to about a year off from a concussion, nasty concussion. Uh, and he eased his way back into the lineup with two goals, two assists, <laughs> plus three, eight shots on goal, uh, 15 minutes of ice time. So yeah, I know it's the Islanders, but uh, yeah, he looks healthy, and that makes the Penguins scary. They were doing well enough without Malkin and Crosby, and now they're both back healthy and scoring points, and that's just a one-two punch that I'm not sure anyone in the East can really match up with. Yeah, well, I think there's no doubt about the fact that the Penguins are the front runner in the East right now. Right. I guess I guess if maybe if if you're Boston, you think you can beat them up, and that might be true. But uh, that's, that's going to be your approach. That's a scary, scary team there in Pittsburgh. Yeah, they're they're a fantastic team, and I watched the game last night, and it was incredible to see hockey just healthy again. Not only is Crosby healthy, but it's like the league is healthy again. He's right. such an important part of the league, being the best North American player, arguably the best player at all. I would definitely say that. And to see him smiling and out there and competing and just it was incredible. It was an incredible night for hockey, an incredible night for Sidney Crosby. He added that by winning 67% of his faceoffs. So uh yeah, he's the best player in the world. Yeah, he had a, he had a, he had a good night. Not many people can go away from hockey for a year like that. And and no, uh Mark Savard is still trying to come back and that's a really sad story cuz he's a likable guy too, but uh, yeah, you're away with the head injury, comes back and looks dominant as ever. Looks like he hasn't missed a step. Congrats to Sid. He is the man. Absolutely. I mean the man. All right, my second thing today in three things is that the NFL is really close to having a new golden age of quarterback play. Now think about this, Don. A few years ago, Matthew Stafford was the first pick, entered the NFL draft. He's kind of coming into his own in Detroit this year. They're 7-3. and three. Mm-hmm. Also, Josh Freeman, uh, I think, came in that year, and he's been kind of somewhat inconsistent, but right. he's someone that you think can be a, a good quarterback in the future. The same with Mark Sanchez. Then the following year, Sam Bradford was the first pick. He's had a tough season in St. Louis this year, but so is St. Louis. Right. And as they put more and more around Bradford you expect him to be quarterback for years to come this year's draft class of quarterbacks all four of the I guess big players picked have had roles in the season Jay Locker made his first appearance this week through two touchdown passes to Nate Washington looked very good uh, Christian Ponder has been the starter in Minnesota for a couple weeks now He's shown some flashes. Cam Newton, the first overall pick, has been incredible. And also, Blaine Gabbert has played for the Jaguars quite a bit. Well, next year, there's four more really interesting quarterbacks ready to come in the league. Andrew Luck is a guy that many people would probably tell you will be better than all of those. Robert Griffin III is someone who will probably win the Heisman Trophy this year and is going to draw a lot of comparisons to Cam Newton. Who he's a guy who can beat you with his legs. He can also also beat you with his arm. And Landry Jones and Matt Barkley at uh, USC will also be first, second round draft picks. 
So I think I just named about 10 quarterbacks, which will make up about a third of the league, who will mix with Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers and Tom, Tom Brady, Brady Peyton and Manning, maybe Peyton Manning back. if he comes back. In a year or two from now, the NFL might have more great quarterbacks in their league than ever before. And that's great because it's a quarterback league. Right. So the league is going to more and more be if you don't have a good quarterback, you better find one. Yeah, and a lot of times uh, I've heard talked about how a lot of teams are spending time and money and draft picks trying to find that quarterback. And the other crazy part about it is it seems like most teams have kind of found their guy or at least the guy they think could be their guy. Uh, obviously, like you said, those four guys are still going to get drafted. But there's not many teams out there that don't know who their quarterback is right now. So it'll be, I mean, there's an abundance of talent in a league that where having a good quarterback means so much. So it'll be interesting to see which of these guys can really break through. Like guys you didn't mention, like Colt McCoy is out there and he's been okay. And uh, the Bills with Fitzpatrick is he the is he more the first half quarterback or the second half quarterback that they've had so far? Is there a team that you can think of that would really immediately be thrust into the contender category if they added Robert Griffin or Luck? Like a team that's like the Colts are scary, right? I mean, the Colts could kind of if they get Luck and he can kind of do what Aaron Rodgers did for a couple of years. I mean, they might be set for a long time again. They could be. Uh the Broncos are an interesting team because I like some of the young players they have on defense. But, I didn't even mention Tebow. But they're not probably – why would you go away from what Tebow is doing right now? It, it might be hard to explain, but wins are wins. So it'd be, this week, I mean, he beat the Jets, at, which was a nice test for him, and uh, they have another good test this week. I can't remember who it is. And they have, a, head, they have a chance to be a playoff team. Yeah, I think they, they're, one, they're game one, one game out in their right. division. So yeah, there's there's a lot. It'll be interesting to see where some of those quarterbacks go because obviously, if you end up with the first pick, you're taking luck or dealing the pick to a team that takes luck. But there's teams out there that, like the Rams, probably wouldn't take luck. I mean, Miami probably would. Uh, Indy probably Indy would, I'm sure, even with Peyton coming back if he does. But yeah, it's an it's an interesting time to to be a fan of quarterbacks, I suppose. My next story is a strange one. Uh, it has to do with the Chicago White Sox manager, Kenny Williams. He, uh, A man from Chicago was arrested Monday for breaking into Kenny Williams' house. The man, Wayne L. Field III, is 51. He's uh, from Chicago, and he was charged with residential burglary for unlawfully entering a house and taking several articles of clothing, a set of keys, and jewelry. Okay, that's not that crazy. I mean, he knows where the general manager lives. Obviously, he's got some money. He went in there to steal it. Not exactly a classy move, but I get it. Here's where the story gets weird. It says, Fields apparently made himself at home. Police found him wearing William's clothes and the 2005 World Series ring. He also apparently had defrosted a lobster. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. I was... When he first told me about this story, I was thinking about the movie Opportunity Knocks, which was Dana Carey's first attempt. Yes. He's uh, a con man. Yeah. It's That's where right. He's a con man, and he ends up taking over a rich guy's house and makes himself at home and <laughs> becomes part of the family. I was kind of thinking of that that movie, but... That's just hilarious. I can picture the guy with his feet up on the table, like watching TV in a bathrobe with the World Series on, 
waiting for his lobster to frost. <laughs> it says the incident occurred between November 18th and 21st, so real recently, just this past week uh, weekend. And it says Williams confirmed the incident and said the man drank his beer, ate frozen pizza, surfed the internet, and kicked his shoes off on the bed. <laughs> During the burglary, this gets even funnier, Field left behind a hospital bracelet with his name on it. Oh, you can't do that. Field returned sometime later and was seen peeking into the home. Looking for his hospital bracelet? <laughs> Maybe, but he was spotted wearing Williams' clothes and the police arrested him. That's hilarious. So uh, not the smartest burglar ever out there. All right, my uh, my third thing today. Urban Meyer has been rumored to be the next coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes. There is a Twitter feed. It's called 11 Warriors, spelled out. 11 is spelled out. Okay. And it's uh, Ohio State blog. They're the first ones to have the story. And according to Urban Meyer, they, he hasn't been offered the job yet, but if he is, quote, I'll have a decision to make. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. It'd be a huge move for Ohio State. Obviously, Urban Meyer led Florida to a national championship. He's a great recruiter, recruited Tebow. And uh, he's only 47 years old. He has had some health problems on and off. Uh, he resigned from Florida a year ago in part because of health and part because of family. Those concerns would obviously still be around, but it'll be interesting to see if Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith can kind of uh, reel in the big fish here as uh, Urban Meyer is probably the biggest name out there. It's almost like Alabama, the equivalent to when Alabama was able to nab Nick Saban. And we see how that move has worked out for them. Yep. One national championship in, threatening for another. Uh, so be interesting to see. But uh, Urban Meyer could be headed to Ohio State. One last thing. Uh not a part of my three things necessarily, but we wanted to make sure we got out there that uh, the Oklahoma State women's basketball coach and the assistant there died in a plane crash. And also this past, or just yesterday, Mariners outfielder, a 24-year-old kid named Greg Hallman, was stabbed to death in Rotterdam. Apparently right now they're saying it was by his younger brother has been arrested as a primary suspect so thanks bro. uh yeah really sad sad news in the sports world we didn't want to forget it but we also didn't want to necessarily lead off with something that negative but uh definitely thought squad to all their families all right we'll be right back with john wertheim <laughs> Our next guest is from Bloomington, Indiana, and is a graduate of Yale University. He made his first appearance on the Sportscasters while promoting the New York Times bestselling book, Scorecasting, The Hidden Influences Between How Sports Are Played and Games Are Won. He has been published four times in the Best American Sports Writing Anthology and once in the Best American Crime Writing Series. He's a senior writer for Sports Illustrated and one of the most accomplished sports journalists in America, making his fifth appearance on the show. A warm sportscasters, welcome to the great John Wertheim. How are you doing today, John? Oh, pretty good. I don't deserve that uh, that intro or that intro music after the debacle in New Haven on Saturday. But uh, good, good to be here. It was my brother's first the game as a Yale student, and uh, he called me frantically 
in the middle of the afternoon saying, I just want you to know I'm okay. Because apparently there was an accident in the parking lot or something. But, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. There was a, yeah, a fatality. Oh, man. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and then a blowout that followed. So, no, not, not a good day in, uh, in New Haven last Saturday. Yeah, not a great day in Yale history. Um, but, you know, I think it was, speaking of not a good day or month or year, uh, we're excited to have you on today because you happen to be on the cover currently of the latest Sports Illustrated with the story that you did at Penn State. And, uh, Obviously, awful just situation in general. But I kind of want to take take you back a couple weeks here and ask you how, how when did you find out you'd be going to state college to do this? What was what was it you were going there thinking you'd find that was different? Just tell us a little bit about how you got the word that you'd be going to state college and what you were thinking about on your way there. Uh. That's a good question, because this news came out, for, for most people, I think it came out on a weekend, on a Saturday, and weird enough, the story was that you had a bad crime and that two Penn State administrators were being indicted for perjury, that it was as much about Tim Curley and Schwartz, the athletic director and the uh, police chief, as it was about Jerry Sandusky. And it took a couple hours, and people kind of got the story and said, wait a second, so you're trying to tell me a Penn State assistant football coach whom we've heard of, a prominent one, is being indicted for eight sex crimes with underage boys. And I think as people read that grand jury report, I mean, this this would not have happened 10 years ago, but they post this grand jury report online, people read it and read these horrifying, just horrific allegations. Um, You know, this quickly became a, a big story. So I was told to get out there. I had a commitment that kept me back for a day, and I arrived on uh, that Tuesday morning. So Paterno was still the coach, and this right. was still sort of picking up steam, and then it was it was like no assignment. I mean, it, it's kind of insensitive, but somebody called it sort of sports Katrina, that it just, it, it was just such a crazy, fluid story, and there were all sorts of rumors, and Paterno was out on the yard, and the students were, I mean, it, it just, every hour brought a new twist. And, yeah, I mean, you know, here we are. It's, it's three weeks. You know, we're going on our third week here, and there's still a lot we don't know. But it was just, I mean, it was one of these stories where you just, you know, you're, you're sleeping three, four hours a night. Just everything is changing so fast. Now, you co-wrote the story with David Epstein, and I, I'm just curious because it, it could be interesting. Were you guys both down in State College, and how did you uh, – divide the story or was he kind of your ears off of the site and you guys kind of worked together how did the story come together because we're just always interested in these kind of quirky things yeah i mean it it was just such a strange story because nobody knew how what was going to happen next and the school had completely lost control and they'd call a press conference and cancel it and you know mike mcquery's dad would talk and then he wouldn't talk i mean it just so so dave epstein and i who's who's a great uh great investigative reporter he and I just drove out there together and talked about how we were going to divide up. Uh, you know, we sort of had some strategies and had some ideas and collected phone numbers. And the first thing we did is I, I dropped him at the uh, State College Airport, so he had his own car. And we just sort of stayed in constant contact and told each other what we were hearing. And every every uh, every night and every morning, we sort of made a list of things to do. And he would take one half of the list, and I would take the other. And we would just kind of both go our own way and keep each other uh, apprised of what we were and weren't getting. But it, it was just, um, 
you know, again, there were so many angles to the story, I mean, players and the foundation and these, um, you know, these figures in the grand jury report and the paterno status and Sandusky's and everybody's in-state college. And I, I just, you know, I've never been on a story like that where it's literally every hour something new is breaking. Let's get into it a little bit. Uh, you have some, along with the story, there's some great videos on SI.com, some interviews that you did with students and things like that. What was your vibe of the student body, and how did it change as the days went on? You said you got there on Tuesday, so he's still the coach, and then he's not the coach, and then there's the candlelight vigil on Friday, the game on Saturday. How how did you find the student body to be, and how did it change as the week went on? Well, I think the student body felt really ill-informed. I mean, I think they were sort of on Twitter and following this thing like the rest of us, and it, this sense it didn't really affect them. I mean, they weren't the principles to any of these allegations, but they were really bearing the brunt of this. And I think that the students felt as though, kind of like nobody was looking out for them, that, uh, you know, here we were and this horrible scandal was taking shape and there wasn't really anyone telling them what was going on. It wasn't like the school said, hey, just so you guys know, this could be a really curious day. I think the students felt a little like they were blindsided like everybody else. And then you know, this, this riot happens, you know, most of the students, I, I, I was joking, the people said, were you scared? And I said, no, because 95% of the students had one hand on their iPhone. <laughs> that most of the students were just sort of there as a curiosity, and obviously it was a couple of knuckleheads that, you know, started fires and turned over trucks. But I think, I think most of the student body understood the gravity. I think most of them sort of got that this was serious, serious stuff, and that, you know, Joe Paterno probably had to go. I think they were a little resentful about how the media handled it and how their administrators handled it. But I, I mean, I, I saw the, the Daily Show. I saw John Stewart's riff on the students, and I thought, you know, I like I like John Stewart as much as anyone. But I thought that was a little uh, I'm not sure that was totally fair to the Penn State students, who I think, by and large, got it. And uh, you know, I mean, imagine going to school though, where this school is so tied to this program, and without any sense that this was coming. I mean, these guys didn't know who Jerry Sandusky was three weeks ago, and suddenly the story comes out, the news trucks come, the helicopters come, they can't go to class without a camera, they lose their president, and then the sp- iconic football coach quits. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of them said, like, my, my whole college experience, like, just changed dramatically. So I, I, I felt a lot of sympathy for the uh, Penn State kids. How uh you know, one thing that's not in the article is it shouldn't be, I suppose, is your opinion. But I want to get your opinion on a couple of things. And, and one of them is, do you think that there was, do you think that in wake of the scandal and doing the best that they can in the whole wave that the board of trustees made the right decision and letting Joe Paterno go? And do you think that there was any way that it could have been handled better in terms of him being let go and ending the long you know, 50-plus year journey that Paternal had on the campus? Or do you think that their hands were tied and they just did what they had to do? I mean, the, the pressure was mounting against him so much. And these these crimes were just, these allegations were so horrible. If this had been your typical, you know, booster giving money and tattoos for jerseys, if this had been your typical college scandal, I'd say give the guy the benefit of the doubt keep him on at the end of the season, it's disappointing, but let him finish it out. But this was so, this was just a completely different level. 
And this was so horrible, and there were criminal charges pending against other people in conjunction with this. I mean, I, I don't know how they could have kept him on. And, I mean, the handling, which, which when somebody writes the book about this, the, the PR and the damage control and the crisis management was just abominable. I mean, I think that's played a big role in this, too, that, you know, the president comes out and says he gives his wholehearted support to these colleagues of his. I mean, here you have charges about eight child rapes, and you're really giving unconditional support to people on, on the wrong side of right, I mean, the people being charged. And, you know, Paterno's going to have a press conference, and then he isn't, and Paterno makes these statements, and then he realizes he's getting hammered, so he basically says, the heck with that, I'm handling my own. You know, he basically, mid midway through this, he, handed, he hired his own handler, and then he comes out and says, oh, it's a great regret of mine, you know, I, I should have done more, which is, which is really admirable sentiment, but it basically put the university on the hook. I mean, it's just the, the spin control. You weren't sure where the message was coming from, but I, I think the way this was handled and the messages that were getting out were so bad that it just made, it, made a horrible situation even worse. This might be sensitive, and you can say if it is, and that's okay, we'll move on. But you mentioned about how the students had said that their experience, their college experience had changed. And, you know, a long time ago, episode six of this program, Joe Piznanski, your colleague, was nice enough to be on this show and kind of set us off on the path that we're on today, and we always appreciate that because he was there when uh, we were just starting. And uh, he's been at, at State College, um, embedded the whole year there, writing a book about Joe Paterno. And it seems like more than any example I could ever think of, he really had a thesis-changing bomb dropped on him in the middle of a 60,000-page book that he's writing about Joe Paterno's career. And I'm just wondering if you saw Joe... Uh, at State College, if you talk to him, how he's doing, and maybe what you would do if you were faced with the same predicament that he's in in trying to make this book sellable, I guess. Oh, how about those Yale Bulldogs? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I thought I, you might I mean, want, you not know, want to Joe, go there. Joe, Joe is a, Joe, Joe's a friend and a colleague and was kind enough to let me stay at his apartment for a few nights. And it was, I mean, you know, he was in a completely unenviable position. Yes. And I, I you know, I, I think uh, apart from everything else, I mean, I think he was deeply affected by all this. I mean, I think it was not a great week for him, um, you know, in, in a number of senses. And I, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, there's, there's no way to, to win that hand. And I think that, um, you know, I mean, now he's, he's got obviously a much different book to write. Than he had uh, three weeks ago, um, but uh, you know I better better end the question. Better end the answer there. All right. <laughs> uh, what was the game like? Had you been to a game there before, and how is this different? I was thinking that going to the game that day might have been like going to a football game a few days after JFK was assassinated. We're talking on the anniversary of the death of JFK, and obviously the NFL made the decision to play games just a couple of days after. And I thought that maybe going to that Penn State game might have a similar feel, not that any of us were there, but what it might have been like going to a Dallas Cowboys game a few days after Kennedy was assassinated. But what was the game like? I think if the Cowboys had been alleged to have committed the assassination, I mean, 
it, it was so strange. And I think, you know, I, I think everybody by that point, I mean, I remember this was a week after these allegations surfaced, and it was just a, sort of a numbness. I mean, I think there was a sense that everything was going to crystallize and the pro-paternal faction was going to have it out with the anti-paternal faction and the students, and we heard that the seniors might boycott, and there were all these sort of predictions. And basically none of them came true. I mean, the game was felt kind of irrelevant. I mean, Bo Pelini, the Nebraska coach, even said it shouldn't have been held. And there was just this weird kind of numbness where I think everybody was just too emotionally spent to, um, you know, people sort of went and they supported it. It was senior day. And it was, you know, I mean, objectively, it's probably a pretty good Big Ten football game. But the game really felt irrelevant, as as it probably should have. And Penn State lost a close game, but you didn't have a sense that anybody was really particularly upset by the outcome. I, I think people just kind of went for the communal aspect as much as anything. It's just this whole community, the city, this institution, central Pennsylvania, had really just been shredded for that week. And sort of everybody, 100,000 people came together for one cause. But um, it, it was it was a weird atmosphere. It was not like, uh, you know, it was not like your normal Big Ten football game. And I, I, you know, I mean, now, now here we are. They end up beating Ohio State. They make go to the Rose Bowl. Um, but uh, I, you have the feeling that this, this is really people are trying to think of. You know, people are really trying to figure out what do I make of this football program that was very much at the heart of this horrible, horrible incident. On the other hand, what do I make of this football program that's brought so much good to this community at the same time? So it's. Strange, you know, this is not uh, Terrell Pryor, this is not Reggie Bush, and I mean, this, this really cuts to the core of the whole identity of the institution in the region. I think, honestly, they're still trying to figure out, what do I feel about this program? Yeah, last thing about Penn State, I guess, and then I want to ask you one kind of scorecasting question, but um, where, does, uh, where do they go from here? Uh, is there? Do you see a conclusion to this, or is this one of those stories that's going to have legs for just years and will almost never... Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. I mean, I think that's what makes this um, so explosive and, and so problematic. There's still a lot we don't know. There are four different investigations going on. There's still a criminal trial and civil trial. I mean, this is not something horrible, you know, the Virginia Tech shooting or Patrick Gen- you know, the Baylor, where, where it's a really unfortunate incident. And then people sort of move, pick up the pieces. I mean, this is still such a fluid situation. Um, I mean, I, I think, tr- truthfully, and I, you know, I'm not planning on announcing this in State College anytime soon, but I, I think if you're Penn State, you say, you know what, 2012, we're going to take a break from football. If people want to get out of their scholarships, they can. But this goes so deep, and there's still so much we don't know, and it's such a distraction, and we really need to reassess this whole power dynamic of where this football team fits into the institution, that maybe you just take a season off and self-impose and take a deep breath because, you know, it, it, this is not going to go away and you still have personnel that might be indicted. You still have so much. Uh, who, you know, the classic who knew what and when did they know it. Uh, there's still so much that we still need to figure out and so many questions that need answering that I, I just don't. I mean, the scandal's not going to go away and there's only going to be more collateral damage. And clearly... What's become clear these last three weeks is that the position of football relative to the rest of the university, I mean, there's a story in the Wall Street Journal today. I mean, every day brings a new example of this, that the position of football relative to the rest of the university is really what is a key factor in all this. 
And until that's addressed, I, I just don't know how this program goes on as business as usual. Yeah. The sportscasters are here with John Wertheim, uh, who wrote the cover story in the most recent Sports Illustrated about Penn State, the failure and shame of Penn State. Him and his colleague, uh, David Epstein, wrote the column. Uh, you can find him on Twitter for more information about it. He's at uh, John underscore Wertheim. I just have one more question for you. I was thinking about you a, a couple weeks ago, and I actually picked up my scorecasting the other day and reread the chapter on uh, loss aversion and going forward on fourth down. And there was a kind of a unreal <laughs> circumstance of uh, Mike Smith, the coach for the Atlanta Falcons, going forward on fourth down in overtime at his own 29-yard line and them getting stuffed and eventually losing the game to the Saints, a huge division game. I was just wondering if you thought of scorecasting that day and what you thought of his decision to go for it and um, maybe just in general, you know, where – uh, is the just an update on scorecasting? Is the paperback going to be out soon? Are you guys? Wh- where does it stand? And I was just wondering if you thought of that that day like I did. It's funny. I I, I read about it like everybody. I didn't see it. I was still in uh, still in the Penn State dungeon. But um, I you know we we were looking. I mean the the paperback is coming out um, after Christmas and the beginning of the new year, and we're sort of still kicking around chapters for a sequel, but. Uh, it's funny because we have not seen um, much in the way of movement in terms of teams going for it or punting. When you know the math still clearly supports going for it, but I, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because I have not seen. Yeah, I'll ask you the question: Did, did anybody come out and actually run the analytics and, and figure out whether yeah, what it was I, advisable to go for it? What I heard is that his chances of winning, his percentage of winning the game, were higher by going for it than if he had punted. I think it was an 8% swing uh, that he was more likely to win the game by 8% by going for it as opposed to punting. So the the numbers certainly supported going for it. But I think it was one of those situations in sports where it's like he can't win because if they would have made it and then they march down and score and win, it's a great decision. But because they didn't didn't make it, everyone was like, oh, you cost the team the game. But it seemed like his players came out to support him. The Saints certainly – uh, had I don't know if it was you know, but the Saints were like, hey, we would love to see our coach do it, and you know, I don't know. It, it seemed like there was a lot of there wasn't the backlash maybe that I expected. Well, I mean, we, we wrote a book about the Bel- the uh, the Belichick backlash, backlash a few years ago against the Colts, where uh, you know, again, he made what was optimally the, the right choice, the choice that sort of maximized the team chances, and he just got absolutely hammered. And I think I mean, you know, we see this all the time in sports, whether it's you know, fouling, whether you're up by three in basketball, where we just kind of intuitively know in sports how we feel about situations. You know, when you're on your own half of the field, of course you got to punt on fourth down, no matter how close you are. And it's just one of these funny things where a coach can make a choice that maximizes his team's chance of success and still gets ripped for it. We, we, don't, we don't see that, you know, you, you, your broker or your, uh, your physician – we don't see too many other sectors of life where somebody makes a choice that maximizes success and, and then they get hammered for it. But uh, I, I, I'm going to go back. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to go back and, uh, and, and look at the math on that. And you know what was interesting about it is in his press conference, he actually pointed to specific examples of when they had played the Saints in the past and decided to punt and not gotten the ball back and lost the game. 
you know, so it's interesting that he was thinking about previous times in this in his history as a coach where punting didn't work and he tried right, this yeah, exactly. you know and he tried this other thing and you know of course since it didn't work there was people who kind of blamed him for the loss but it would have been interesting to see how it was different had it worked you know i think the most flawed part about it as you look back will be they handed the ball to michael turner 5 yards behind the line of scrimmage on a fourth and a couple of inches instead of maybe just letting their big 6 foot quarterback plow into the into the line but I don't know. I just wanted to bring that up to you. And uh, it's John Wertheim on the Sportscasters. Again, you can find him on Twitter. is at John underscore Wertheim. Uh, he's always there for us. We appreciate him taking time out of a crazy day today to be here with us to talk about this scandal. Uh, is there going to be any more about it in this week's uh, magazine? Or where does the story go from here? Yeah, we, we wrote a smaller piece this week about how sort of all these changes and a lot of the, uh, the interim positions are being filled with people who may may have conflicts, too. So, again, this is just one of these stories, and obviously it isn't like it was two weeks ago, but this is one of these stories that just so many angles and so many unanswered questions, it's, it's not, it ain't going away. All right, John, have a have a great Thanksgiving. And uh, if we don't too. talk thanks, to you, a great Christmas. Time. But we'll talk to you soon. All right. All right, thanks, bud. Take care of yourself. Yep. All right. We have to thank John Wertheim for being such a good friend to the show. Appreciate him making himself available today. Don and I are going to try something here a little bit different. The uh, book club is kind of taking a break right now. And the reason is because it's the holiday season. We're a couple days away from Thanksgiving. And when Thanksgiving ends, we kind of, as a society, thrust ourselves into the Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Kwanzaa season. And uh, we thought in anticipation for Black Friday and Cyber Monday, we would do a segment called the Sportscasters Holiday Shopping Guide. So Don and I are going to kind of go back and forth with some ideas for gifts. We figured that the average listener to the Sportscasters wants gifts in three different categories. Tech, collectible media, which could be books, DVDs, music, things about that nature, and other or sports-related type gifts. And um, I guess I'll kick us off. And the first gift that I wanted to recommend is the Kindle. Amazon has spent a great deal of time uh, researching and evolving this product and making it available for people at all different price levels. Currently, there's four different versions of the Kindle available. There's the most basic Kindle, which costs $79. Then there's the Kindle Touch, which is one step up, $99. Then there's the Kindle Touch 3G, which is $149, and it has access to 3G. And then there's the new Kindle Fire, which is their top of the line, which is almost more a tablet than an e-reader and um, is kind of a cheaper version, affordable version of Apple's iPad, which I'll talk about in a minute. But I think the Kindle is great. We bought one for my mom for Christmas, 
and uh, she she loves it. We bought that for her last year, and I just think that more and more people are reading this way uh, on whatever e-reader they may have, and anyone who has a Kindle and also has a smartphone can use them in conjunction with each other and pick themselves off right where they left with Amazon's WhisperNet technology. So I think the Kindle is a, is a great gift idea for anyone on your list with price points anywhere from 79 to $199. The first thing I'm going to bring up, I'm not sure how great a gift it makes only because you have to register with a contract, but also on Amazon they're offering, if you don't have a smartphone yet, new line activations, uh, for Sprint, AT&T, Motorola, or sorry, Sprint and AT&T and Verizon, uh, Amazon has 97 different phones up to grab, all for a penny. And that includes phones like the Droid Razor that you see all the ridiculous commercials for, which retails at $300 with the contract, the uh, Droid Bionic, the Samsung Galaxy S2. Uh, all those phones will be one penny with new line, with new line activations. So, if you don't don't have a smartphone yet and you're in the market for one, check out Amazon. They, some of those phones, like Razer, just came out, so it's not just older phones. And uh, if you if you activate the hotspot feature on the phone, which I don't have, you also get a hundred dollar Amazon gift card. So some pretty good Black Friday deals on Amazon for smartphones. What kind of smartphone do you rock on? I have the Droid X still, but it's getting getting a little aged. Is there one that you're looking at as one that you'd like to replace it with? Um, I'm not quite ready for the upgrade. If I was going to with what's out now, it would probably be like the Samsung Galaxy S2 or the Nexus that I don't think is offered through this deal. But, uh, yeah, it would be one of those two, I think. All right, my second thing. I can't think of a better Christmas gift this year than this, and that's an iPad if there's someone on your list that you want to spend this kind of money for, the iPad, we, we talk about it all the time. I mean, it's changed my life, which is almost a silly thing to say, but I spend probably three to five hours a day on my iPad. And um, it's an amazing piece of technology. Uh, it's not You can buy it at the Apple Store. You can buy it at – and the Apple Store usually has – a 10% off of anything sale on Black Friday. Okay. Usually. Uh, they've done it the last bunch of years. I haven't heard if they're doing it or not this year. But if that 10% sale is available, it's definitely worthwhile. The iPad comes in all different sizes. And you can get it with 3G capability or without 3G capability. And it starts as low as 4.99, I believe. And you could spend as much as maybe 8.99 on the top one, but uh, it's an amazing piece of technology, and I definitely recommend the iPad. So any news on when the new one's going to be out? Obviously not before Christmas. Or no, anything, the new one will probably be in the March to April range. Okay. So you wouldn't feel like you <laughs> bought it just under the wire? Or anything. No, there's still a bunch of months, and what we found out last time is these keep their value pretty well. So even if you wanted to resell, it. resell it to buy the, the iPad 3, or whatever they'll choose to call it. Um, I got over four hundred dollars for my iPad One when I traded it when I bought my iPad Two. So they hold their value well. All right, most of my uh, personal Christmas list is filled with like uh, board games, movies, that things of that nature. So I'll just name a few of them. 
the Pearl Jam 20 box set, I believe it's been out for a little while now. I don't have it yet. Specifically, the three-disc Blu-ray version, it goes for about 70 bucks. comes in a real cool die-cut box. Uh, it has footage that wasn't on the movie, and I know this isn't sports-related, but Doesn't as you could tell be. from there our... There was a second movie in, available in the box. Right, set. right. The original documentary and then a documentary called The Kids, the Kids Are All Right. right. Yeah. yeah, but we are a show that... Uh, we love Pearl Jam. We do love Pearl Jam, so that would be on my list. Uh, I also wanted to mention a few accessories for the iPad, if that was something that you end up buying. Uh, one accessory that I like a lot, I like using my iPad with a stylus, and the best stylus out there f- is the Bamboo Stylus. Uh, the company is Bamboo, and they have a stylus. What's nice about it is they also have an app called Bamboo Paper, which is made as a note-taking app that works exclusively with the Bamboo Stylus. Well, you could use other stylus, but it works best with it. I think that's a fantastic accessory. And also, I don't think you can buy an iPad 2 without buying a smart cover to go along with it. It's Apple's kind of cover for the iPad 2. It's it's run by magnets, covers the front of your screen, turns it on and off, and it also folds up uh, to support it for when you're watching different media. And it's a great way to protect the screen, and it's fun, and it's a really cool product that comes in all kinds of different colors and two different prices. There's leather ones for $69 or polyurethane ones for $39. My next item on my Christmas list is a comedian. It's a comedy CD. Brian Regan has a new CD out. Uh, He's a guy that maybe you've heard of. He's done a lot of stand-up on Comedy Central. He's a comedian that works clean. Uh, He's a very very funny comedian there's only a second cd for a guy that's been out forever i think he's got like three dvds out there uh cd's called all by myself i know on his first cd he talks about sports a little bit and how bad he was at him but he's got some pretty funny jokes about that um so if you want to hear a clean comedian that's hilarious without swearing uh check out brian regan and uh, i recently heard him on satellite radio talking about how he has a store on his website and he doesn't sell anything on there so (laughs) Go buy some of this stuff. He's got all sorts of weird crap like uh, golf umbrellas <laughs> and uh, winter hats and stuff like that. But he's he's a funny guy. If you get a chance to listen to him, check him out. And he's never blue, huh? Not not at all, really, no. That's really cool. Uh, I had a couple of small gifts like that. Um, James Andrew Miller's ESPN book is coming out on paperback. I think December 3rd it comes out. And he's going to be on the show next week to talk about that paperback book. Also, Stephen King wrote a really interesting book that's topical today. It's called 112263, and it's a fiction story based around the assassination of JFK. And also, I'm in the middle of reading Walter Isaacson's biography called Steve Jobs, which is a really fascinating look into the life of the recently passed away Steve Jobs. Right, my last two things fall in the uh, nerd category. One of them is the uh, Super 8 Blu-ray is coming out shortly. I'm not sure if it'll be out by Black Friday. I know it's coming out very soon. Super 8, if you haven't seen it, was a Steven Spielberg movie. Uh, I heard it's fantastic. It's very good. It's kind of a throwback, people say, to older movies like uh, The Goonies and stuff like that. Uh, and my other item... If you have a Wii, maybe you're disappointed by some of the releases, uh, but you're a fan of Nintendo games, you already know that Zelda, the newest Zelda, was just released called Skyward Sword. 
they're always awesome, and I've started playing it and have been enjoying it. So if you're a fan of all things Nintendo, go get Skyward Sword. And Super 8 came out today. Comes out today. Okay, Yeah, good. so it is available for $19.99 right now. Yeah, so if you're out shopping Friday, Amazon. pick it up for sure. All right, uh, a couple last things on my list. Uh, I'm a fan. I was a huge fan of wrestling as a kid. I don't really watch their current programming, but they've kept me as a customer by putting out really cool DVDs that document the time when I was a fan. And kind of their biggest probably DVD out there right now is a look at the Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart rivalry. And it is has, for the first time ever, on the Blu-ray, they have released the match in Montreal, the, probably one of the most infamous wrestling matches of all time in 1997 Survivor Series, where Bret Hart was screwed by Shawn Michaels and the WWE. And Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, and Jim Ross sit down and have a really long, in-depth interview about a bunch of different topics. And I've seen the documentary portion of this, and it's very good. So if you're a fan of wrestling at all, that's a DVD worth uh, checking out. A few sports gifts that are I know would make any sports fan on your list really happy. Jerseys. I mean, everyone loves to get a jersey. Yep. There's all kinds of jersey options, whatever team you like. Also, tickets. Uh, Don and his brother every year get tickets to the Sabres versus San Jose Sharks game yeah. at the HSBC Arena, now called the First Niagara Center. So tickets are one that are always great under the tree. And as Steve Russian mentioned on the show last week, one of his favorite all-time Christmas gifts that he got from some out-of-town relatives was a subscription to Sports Illustrated. And since we have so many great Sports Illustrated people on the show, I'd feel guilty if I didn't mention that you should maybe uh, get a gift for it. Sports fan on your list. Yeah, can't go wrong with that. All right, so that is the Sportscasters Holiday Gift Guide. And uh, one last thing we have to do is draw names for the Sportscasters Secret Santa. Um, so we're going to each pick out. Who do you have, Don? Uh, this year I got Steve. Oh. That's very exciting. I got you this year. I have Don. Cool. Yeah, so uh, that should be interesting. Uh, $10 limit. We already kind of blew it, though. We weren't supposed to say who we got. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's supposed to be a secret. Uh, uh. We'll have to redraw maybe. Yeah, maybe we'll redraw later. All right. We will be right back with Richard Sandemir from the New York Times. Let's get serious here, Don. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Our next guest is from New York City, New York, and is a graduate of Queens College. Since 1991, he has been a TV sports and business reporter for the New York Times, and he is making his first appearance today on the Sportscasters. A warm welcome to the very talented Richard Sandemir. How are you doing today, Richard? I'm good. How are you? Uh, very good. We're very excited uh, just to be in the presence of a New York Times reporter and, uh, well, uh, well, hopefully the excitement will last the entire 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, this is a little off topic, but I, I recently watched a pretty interesting documentary about the New York Times and kind of how the New York Times is adjusting and changing. Did you watch that documentary? I, I, I have seen it. We had a special screening for employees. I liked it a whole lot. Yeah, you thought it was fair and, and representative? 
Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, clearly, it's a, to, to be a good documentary, you have to focus, you have to find a focus, and they found the focus in uh, several of our media reporters, like David Carr and Brian Stelter, who are both in their own ways dealing with the new social media and how it connects to old media like ours. I, I thought it was, I, I, I felt very proud to be part of the Times. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I said that it was off topic, but it's, it's really not, because we, we kind of brought you on today to continue a discussion that we started last week with uh, Steve Russian from Sports Illustrated, sportsillustrated.com, kind of about 21st century media and kind of where things are today and how things are changing. And that was somewhat a focus of the documentary, but maybe more from a news approach. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly how we deal with it, and uh, it didn't go through, you know, a sort of a roster of all the reporters and how they deal with it. But I, I'm on Twitter, you know, somewhat frequently. I, I don't have 100,000 followers, but if I tweeted every day, I probably would have more. Uh, and we all do it in different ways, and, you know, uh, some people cover beats that maybe they don't feel are tweet-worthy or, or something like that. But, I, you know, I, I enjoy tweeting, uh, re, you know, things I might have, written up reviews for for the paper I might tweet on, tweet about I, I I sometimes test the um the limits of of Twitter by seeing how banal my uh reports from taking my mother to the doctor in Florida and whether they'll get responses so you know I, I I try to see what Twitter can do and people will always respond to you on something so uh and and we all deal with it to ver- in various degrees and uh you know anybody following Brian Stelton knows he is probably the 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 the, the biggest tweeter in the paper yeah, and the, just for the record, the documentary is called Page One Inside the New York Times, and uh, it's worth checking out if you get the chance. Uh, kind of, I guess, you do, you're a sports media writer, and um, how has the role of the sports media writer changed in the last 10 years with kind of the way the blogosphere has kind of crept up and created a, a subculture of people who are interested, for one reason or another, in critiquing sports media as much as we've seen recently it's kind of a new phenomenon yeah it it is it's interesting as uh, and this is not new to the way the world works uh there are because there are fewer newspapers there are fewer movie critics and with and and as there are fewer movie critics more uh, more traditional uh among uh, the, the more traditional kind that has developed a subculture thus of of of, uh, of online media uh, movie critics and in, in a way it proves you don't need any special training to be a critic uh, the best ones will probably be weeded out and come to the top whether it's in old media or new media for me uh you know i've i've gone through an evolution more in the past year than ever before uh like i've been doing this for 20 years i i understand that um, uh, most broadcasts are pretty good, and there's no reason to praise people for doing what they should be doing. That's why you haven't seen me write about, say, how good Monday Night Football is, uh, the whole uh, Sunday Night Football uh, broadcast is on NBC, because they're doing what they should be doing. A lot of networks think I should be, you know, praising them over and over, but I say to them, hey, listen, you know, you, you've, uh, you know, our TV critic doesn't uh, review the same sitcom over and over. Uh, so I trust Al Michaels and, and Chris Collinsworth to do an excellent job, and if if they don't, I you know it's it's the extremes high it's the extreme highs and lows that attract me in, in media criticism, and you know sometimes I find that you know readers who contact me more than they could before because of email and 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 Twitter they sometimes have some very good points, and I have nice uh, back and forth with them uh, back and forth with them either online or or privately. Uh, there are some good people out there who, uh, you know, on a more professional level, uh, are good critics. Some are bad, but that's the, the, the kind of mix you always get. 
but I my evolution has been more towards the business side uh, because maybe because I'm I've I've done a lot of criticism over the years. I've written you know I wrote on average two two and a half columns a week for. 18 or 19 years, and you get a little tired. Um, so fortunately, this year, uh, this past year, has seen uh, you know, the Mets and the Dodgers in, a, in, in various uh, types of financial difficulties and bankruptcy court with the Dodgers. So these two have been the gifts that, that keep on giving this year, and, and you don't need to be, you know, side with old media or, or new media to, to, to know that uh, it's great to be able to, to report on this kind of, uh, these kinds of controversies. Do you see a resolution on the horizon for the Mets or the Dodgers? How do you think that well, those stories? Well, well, you know, the Dodgers, uh, because they're under bankruptcy protection, there is, uh, you know, there there is kind of a pathway, if not an actual date for things. Uh, the judge still has to approve the process by which the team will be sold. But now we know the team will be sold. After all the months of McCourt fighting and trying to hold on to the team, he knows he has to sell the team to a great degree because he owes his wife $131 million in a divorce settlement. Mm-hmm. The Mets are a little bit mushier. You know, the the, uh, the lawsuit against them by the trustee for the uh, Madoff estate uh, is still going on. The maximum amount of money that that the trustee can get out of the Mets is uh, far less than it started out. It started at a billion. Now it's anywhere between 83 and uh, $386 million. Uh, you know, they've been delayed on uh, getting uh, the $200 million they want and invested into the team uh, because the, for the deal with the hedge fund guy uh, broke down in September. They're trying to now get uh, 10 different units of $20 million apiece sold. And I reported this this week that they have commitments for about seven of the uh, 10 units, and they probably won't uh, close on all 10 until they have commitments for all 10. So. Uh, that seems to be a little bit slower, but uh, it's not quite as, you know, the, the interesting phase seems to have moved on to the Dodgers because all, of all the hatred that's gone on between Seelig uh, uh, and Frank McCourt, uh, which has gone on mainly in, in the court. Uh, and, you know, the court, you know, thousands of documents are piling up behind me, uh, behind my desk, just testament to how much they dislike each other. And now they've sort of in, in, a, in a nice period because of, they both agreed to, to, that the team will be sold. I want to ask you about a couple of specific sports media topics that I sure. think will have some legs coming up uh, earlier in the year when the ESPN book uh, by James Andrew Miller was released. It was a big story. Yeah. Everyone kind of took their turns talking to James. He's on a million shows, including ours, and everyone had their opinion on the book. And that the... the um, the paperback version of that book is coming out soon, and it seems like, as you mentioned, McCourt and uh, and the Mets are the story that keeps giving to the sports business. It seems like ESPN is almost the story that keeps giving to a sports media critic. There was the report on Deadspin about another controversy with uh, Aaron Andrews, and there's going to be some new topics to be discussed with James Andrew Miller. What was your take initially on the ESPN book, and um, where do you see ESPN kind of evolving from here in the 21st century? Well, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, I got a call from an, uh, an ESPN executive who, truth be told, I thought was going to offer me a job. And, uh, and then we spent lunchtime trying to, trying to uh, he, he asked me why the, why the media hates ESPN. And, uh, you know, I said, you know, it's all about being big. It's all about having the money to do anything uh, you, uh, you, you want to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're very defensive. They're, you know, they're, they're a huge institution. They are the biggest entity in sports. Uh, 
uh, and, you know, they're worth so much money. It's it's astonishing. So ESPN is always going to be fascinating. Uh, uh, the book, the book was like you know, 800 pages of candy. Uh, you uh, you learned a lot about how they, how it came about. You learned a lot about the sexual harassment stuff in the early years. You learned about some stuff in the, in, in, in the more recent years. You learned, you know, uh, it, it's really a very good business book uh, that everybody thought was going to be a big big gossip book and was going to bring down some people. I don't think it's brought down anybody. Uh, but it's it's an appropriate book for an appropriately large institution that people have a hard time getting their hands around. Is it a TV network? Is it an online place? Is it you know uh, what is it? Is it entertainment? Is it news? So I, I think there's a huge fascination with them because they are so enormous and they're so ubiquitous, and institutions like that are rarely loved. They're they're not uh, they're not the Red Cross. They're ESPN and. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, I'm not surprised that um, Jim has more to put into the book. Uh, I think he's adding two or three hundred pages. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if he thought. reoriented some things. There, there are some things that that uh, you know uh, maybe didn't grab a consumer audience, but it still did well enough to to, to uh, clearly uh, uh, be judged a success. Uh, going going forward, I, I look. I think they're very smart people over there who know how to. You know, build a brand, extend the brand, then extend the extension 27 different ways. Uh, it just means also that they they risk being disliked more as they become more ubiquitous. The sportscasters are here with Richard Sandemir from the New York Times. Only a few more minutes left with him. We could obviously kind of sit back and talk about this stuff for hours, but we only have a few more minutes. I guess I want to ask you maybe one last topic would be where you kind of view Mike and the Mad Dog separately now as we've gotten a few years away from them being together being apart mike had an interesting kind of thing with the jets where uh darrell Rivas ended up hanging up on him in the middle of an mm -hmm. interview and you know the mad dog is getting towards the end of his initial run at sirius xm they're kind of two of the innovators in sports radio where do you see them at, in their careers right now do you still keep in touch like do you still know what the mad dog's doing or is he kind of like no I, 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 I have absolutely no idea yeah it's kind one of just of the, lost, one, right? of the, one of the one of the things that i have been able to uh live by since i took this job 20 years ago is that i really don't cover radio uh once in a while i i'll do a story on radio when when, when russo left uh, to go to uh, sirius i did that but uh, you know, when Imus uh, blew up, I did that. But you know, a little bit. But you know, it's just too much for me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, covering TV sports and, and sports business. You know, to cover radio, you really have to listen to it, and I don't have the time to listen to it. So, um, you know, what? You know, I got 20 minutes in the morning, and usually, truth be told, I listen to NPR. Uh, driving around in the car, I'll, I'll, you know, if I have the time, I'll, I'll put on the radio, uh, and sometimes I actually listen to sports. I think I think Mike has thrived without uh, without Chris. Um, I think he is he's no different than he used to be. He just has to talk twice as much, and amazingly enough, he's able to fill that that that, that gap. Uh, it's very hard for me to judge how Chris is doing because they don't put any numbers out on you know how many right. subscribers have uh, you know have signed up because of him. So I, I have no idea. Uh, I, I keep getting a lot of. Uh, PR releases from SiriusXM uh, and requests to, to to listen to what he's doing, but you know there's only there's only so much time in the day, and um, I try to have a life uh, within this. I have I have a wife, 
a cat and a mother who just moved up to New York from Florida. So I'm 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 plenty busy without listening to radio. Uh, you know, my Mike is you know Mike is a fascinating listen. Uh, whether you like him or not, I think he's fascinating. And Chris is you know I've been on the show. I just have I just don't get to listen to the show. Uh, so you know, uh, Chris is, is is you know they made a very good team because Chris is the lighthearted one and Mike is the hammer. Uh, but uh, I, I don't listen enough to, uh, to to give you a cogent opinion on them. So last thing here as we let you go, Richard Sandemir from the New York Times, uh, NBC is going to be changing versus to the uh, NBC Sports Network. Like I said, the, the paperback version of the ESPN book is coming out. NFL is talking about expanding their Thursday night package. As we go into the 2012, what is the biggest story in sports media that you're going to be following and, and seeing how it plays out? Hmm. Well, that's a good question. I don't, I don't think the paperback version of the ESPN book is, is, is the big one. Uh, it might be something I didn't it, mention. I was just throwing out. Yeah, no, it's, uh, no, it's, uh, uh, there are, you, you know, one of, one of the fun things is, and I'm going to dodge the question with it in an elegant way, one of the fun things is you just don't know. You, you know, we didn't know how big the Dodger story was going to get, uh, you know, back in February. Uh, we didn't know how, how you know, we, we don't know what direction ESPN is going to go. We don't know. I mean, I certainly, I'm interested to see how Mark Lazarus transforms Versus into the NBC Sports Network uh, while maintaining some of the character of Versus because, remember, that, you know, some of their core programming, the hunting, fishing stuff, actually does very well. And uh, Versus in the state it's in now is highly profitable. So let's see how it transforms when it becomes clearly an NBC property. Now you see traces of it in the NFL, in the NHL programming, and in three new programs. We'll see it in Constance's show. But as you see more NBC talent migrating there and double, doing double duty, uh, let's see not only how their standards, uh, the standards get more to the NBC level, but let's see how close they get to what ESPN does and how competitive they are for other rights. That's going to be fun because uh, right now, I mean, baseball rights are up fairly soon. But uh, uh, you know, uh, every time a network transforms itself, it's interesting. ESPN itself keeps transforming itself. It sort of like, you know, throws up a cocoon every every few months and creates something new. So it's you know, it's never boring. Uh, and you never know what kind of stadium deals are going to come around or naming rights deals. We had no idea the, the you know for quite a while if the Jets Giants Stadium would ever get a, a naming rights deal, and then suddenly up comes MetLife. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot of interesting suddenness that goes on, and uh, I'll be interested to see, interested to see who, who buys the Dodgers. How um, random was uh, – I'm sorry to cut you off, but how random was Mercedes uh, sponsoring the Superdome in Louisiana? That kind of came out of nowhere. It may have come less out of nowhere to people down in New Orleans, but uh, it was certainly a surprise up here. Uh, but it's an interesting comparison be, to, to something I, I, a story I did a few years ago. Now, Mercedes is a, a great brand, uh, a, a, a brand that's been long accepted in America, but a German brand. And if Mercedes had decided to buy the naming rights to the stadium that is now MetLife Stadium, hardly anybody would have uh, had a problem, although they did business in Nazi Germany, just as the Allianz Insurance Company did. And I wrote a story, a series of stories, a couple of years ago, uh, pointing out that Allianz, a much less well-known company, much less beloved, it's an insurance company who loves insurance companies, and not, not, not that many people in America had heard of Allianz. 
they insured Auschwitz. Uh, their uh, their top executive was in Hitler's uh, cabinet, so that got the deal killed. And they would have had more from Allianz between the Jets for the Jets and Giants than uh, uh, they meant life is paying. So it's it's interesting, you know, Allianz had just had not made itself into the kind of company that Americans could say could look beyond any third right connections, uh, and they both sides backed out and. Now Mercedes, you know, a, a luxury brand with a product that people love uh, has has the dome. So, you know, that was a surprise to me. I mean, like I said, but it might not have been as much a surprise to people down there. Yeah, I just wonder how many people in their target market live in New Orleans, Louisiana, right now. You know, it's kind of yeah, yeah. There, there, there was some uh, non-obvious marketing that uh, is afoot there. I'm not sure what it is and. In that they're not in, in this market, I, I didn't go much beyond the first day story. But it, and they weren't making anybody available at, least, uh, at that point to discuss that stuff. Uh, good, good, good. It's a good story to go back to. Uh, but again, they're they're also not paying twenty twenty five million dollars a year. Right. So it's 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 a it's a, it's a lesser investment, and I think it's kind of a goodwill investment. They're coming in, spending money, you know, in a city that has gone through so much, and. Uh, yeah, there's kind of there. There are various reasons companies do these things, and some of them are not measurable. And maybe goodwill and being a good corporate citizen is 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 not one that's easily e- easy to measure. Thank you, Mr. Sandemir. We appreciate the time. My pleasure. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick, Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Stephen Jackson, Miles Austin, Leonet Ocho Cinco, TJ Pushmanzada. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. All right, Sportscaster is back. I have to thank Richard Sandemir from the New York Times for... Bringing even more credibility to this great podcast. <laughs> yep. The New York Times on board. All right. Five on fantasy for today. Don's going to get us kicked off with uh, some injury talk here. Yeah. The injuries have hit us again, it appears. And uh, we got some big names that you want to keep an eye out for. Jay Cutler is going to be out for six weeks. So if he was your starter, maybe you had another one of the start. Like maybe you had Schaub and Cutler. Cutler's going to be out for probably the rest of your fantasy year. So you're going to have to find replacements there, which might be tough at this time of the year. Sanchez, uh, maybe? Maybe Sanchez. Maybe uh, maybe Matt Leinart. It might not be a bad guy. It's a good offense. If he can do anything there, get the ball to Andre Johnson, uh, he might not be terrible. Um, some other guys that aren't necessarily out, but they are worth keeping an eye on. Uh, Adrian Peterson probably lost some owners their league last week. He did score before at he went out. At least he scored, yeah. Um, Greg, He's so safe. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like even in a game where he hurts his ankle, he still didn't no show you. Right. You know. But keep an eye on his status. If he's not going to play, Toby Gerhardt might be a good one week fill in. Uh, Greg Jennings also another guy sat out the entire second half of the the Packers game last week. He is day to day and has a short week. So James Jones could become interesting there. James Jones, if you have. Uh, Jordy Nelson, Jordy Nelson you're playing him no matter anyway. what, yeah. but Jordy Nelson looks real good if he's out. Maybe even Driver. Maybe Driver. Maybe uh, Jermichael Finley gets a little bit of a bump if he's out. Um, and James Starks also has a knee strain, they're calling it. 
also day to day, also again on a short week, and that makes someone like uh, like a Ryan Grant maybe interesting if he's if Starks is indeed out. Otherwise, they're probably both. I'd probably stay away from both of them if he does play. All right, I had uh, one thing I wanted to talk about real quick. Michael Fabiano, who's been on this show before and will be on again, had an interesting tweet the other night, and his question was. Next year, who is the first pick in the draft? Is it Aaron Rodgers, or is it Foster, or is it Peterson, or is it someone else? So I'm going to pose this question to Don. Don, looking ahead, way ahead, but to next year, I thought it was interesting. Who, if you had the first pick, would you want to select? Well, Aaron Rodgers has been so good this year. Uh, I believe it was our buddy Dave Damashek that said he thinks he's watching the best quarterback of all time by the time things are all said and done. But, man, I still don't know if I could take a quarterback that soon. We did it in our quote-unquote experts league, and we're doing okay in that league. But he just – And it's Rodgers. How many more points is he than Cam Newton? Yeah. Uh, Well, it's tough because there's so many good quarterbacks now who run the ball. And even – you know, he's even one of the guys. I mean, he he runs a little bit. He's probably got – three rushing touchdowns on the year. He might get two more as the season goes on. But Newton is like starting a running back and a quarterback. Tebow has great fantasy value because of how much he runs. Right, and with Tebow, you're not going to need to get him in the first round, so you'll still have two great running backs, and you'll get Tebow in the 10th round or whatever next year. So if it's not Rodgers, is it Peterson or is it Foster, or does it matter? I think it's definitely one of those two. Peterson or Foster, I don't think any running backs other than them have What really... about McCoy? Yeah, McCoy, you know what? The running backs that, here's the reason you draft running backs where you do, because they've all been safe this year. Other than injury, with Foster, maybe has lingered longer than you would have liked it to. Uh, but he's Jamal been all Charles, what you want when right, he came back. Every, every game he's been, he's been good. Right. Uh, Jamal Charles got hurt, obviously, you really can't predict injuries he's someone who you might be able to get great value at seven or eight next year and chris johnson was a bust total so he's the one guy i think that you look at where do you draft him next year i don't know not a first round he's not going to be my first round i don't know if i touch him in the second um another interesting guy is matt forte is probably in that discussion as the top guy Uh, fred jackson will probably be a he'll he was drafted in the seventh round this year i imagine he'll be a top three round guy i would say at least uh, so running back, but beyond, but the other guys, the guys that were in that top six or seven guys, the, uh, LaShawn McCoy's, the Ray Rice's, the, uh, who else am I missing here? Well, the, let me ask those you Those guys this. are all, those guys have all been safe, but I still think it's between Peterson and Foster. I just did a real quick top five running backs for next year. I have number one, Peterson, number two, Foster, number three, McCoy, number four, Forte, number five, Rice. Did you change that at all? No, probably not. Would you put Rice ahead of Forte? I mean, I guess a lot of things can happen, but if the teams look the same way they do now, would I put Rice ahead of Forte? Um, They both catch the ball quite a bit. They're both huge parts of their offense. Yeah, Man, that's tough. I don't know. I... It's one of them things where if you're in a league that plays Kentucky Derby style or you, you pick your draft spot, I might take the fifth pick, fifth pick and just let somebody – Right. I did that in a couple leagues this year, and I ended up with, uh, I think, LaShawn McCoy in both of them. And you know them. what? You could probably definitely pick sixth 
and still get one of those top five guys. Because someone, someone take in Rogers. the top five picks is going to take Rodgers. Right. But we'll have plenty of time to talk about that as it goes on. I, I just wanted to bring it up real quick as something to just keep an eye on. That is interesting. Uh, the one thing I wanted to add to the injuries that I didn't mention before is, in addition to guys getting hurt, there's a lot of players that are going to return. It looks like A.J. Green sh- should be ready to play. Uh, Darren McFadden looks like he'll be back. Andre Johnson. Maybe well, I, I Santana Moss. I shouldn't say that. McFadden and Andre Johnson are both probably still considered day-to-day. I think I would expect them both to play. Yeah, Santana Moss m- might play, and it seems like forever. Since I guess he- Santana Moss is going to try it. He's gonna, which is always scary. He's gonna try it in practice, and if it's good, he's gonna go. Right, that's always a scary thing. So, but he might be a week away. Right, uh, Michael Vick, maybe, maybe not. And uh, Big Ben didn't actually miss any games, but he did break a thumb or fracture a thumb, and he is gonna play. So, right, the bye week came in at the, a good time there for him. Right. All right, looking back on our starts and sits last week, my starts, I had Phillip Rivers at quarterback. He gave you 280 yards and two TDs, which would have been great, but of course, Phillip Rivers threw two picks, so I guess you got to kind of take the good for the bad. If it's minus two, he only lost your four points, you're okay. I've been in leagues where it's as much as minus four. Yeah, I'm in a league like that now. And in a league like that, Phillip Rivers is almost unstartable. He has, what, 21 picks this year? It's got a lot. Uh, Reggie Bush was my running back start. He had four receptions, 64 total yards, and a TD. And I had Jordy Nelson, who had a monster six day. receptions for 123 yards and two TDs. My sits. Uh, Michael Vick turned out to be a cop-out of a pick because he didn't play. I thought he was going to give it a go. Uh, apparently they thought maybe what I thought, and they knew he was going to get blasted all over the field by the Giants defensive ends and linebackers so they didn't want to risk it probably a smart decision so i will do better next time and not pick someone that's going to sit unfortunately we do the podcast on tuesday um my running back sit i had ray rice against the number two cincinnati rust defense boy are those numbers going to change and that was there's just so much more scoring than you ever would have thought in that game no kidding i mean i don't know what the over under was in that game but it, it had, had to be to like in the low or in the high 30s, low 40s, and it certainly didn't work out that way. I wrote a note here that says Forte and DeMarco Murray. I'm not sure why I put that down, but those both would have been pretty smart sets too. Well, Uh, Forte, I'm not sure what he did, but Murray did okay when you add up his yards. Yeah, he wasn't bad, but he didn't score. He had his his worst week so far. Felix Jones was back, I believe. He wasn't a factor. Wasn't a factor. So that's probably the most positive thing about that game. If you're a Demarco Murray owner, is they're not going to take any carries away from him? Right. I'm Felix still excited Jones. to have him. If yep. I mean, even if at fully healthy, I'd rather have Demarco Murray obviously than like a James Starks because his running back situation, his platoon situation is much, much more favorable. Um, and my sit was Dwayne Bow. I knew they weren't going to have Matt Castle, as did everybody else, and that turned out to be. A uh, really good sit. And, you know, Matthew Barry had him, not to pick on Matthew Barry because I like him, but he had him eighth. And I can see the logic there, and that's why I picked him as a sit. Not be, Because with with your backup quarterback in, it almost seems too obvious to sit a guy. But that said, it's Dwayne Bowe who has some talent, and the New England Patriots give up passing yards to everybody. So that must have been what Matthew Barry was thinking. I know to some degree he believes that wide receivers it doesn't matter who the quarterback is yeah well it's, it's, we they're that, gonna throw to him yeah we, we had that theory with reggie wayne with reggie wayne and it worked out for a week and then <laughs> i mean that team has just been such a disaster that yeah so let's do our starts and sits this week all right i'll start us off my start at quarterback it's a guy that you if you have him you're probably starting him but i'm gonna make a bold call with him 
I say that Cam Newton is the number one QB this week. I would start him over every other QB in the league. Might have a tough time sitting Aaron Rodgers under any circumstances, and the same with Drew Brees. But other than that, I think that Cam Newton is the number one QB this week. The Colts are 29 against the pass and 21 against the rush. It's the perfect team for Cam Newton to play against. He's going to grind him up on the run. He's going to grind him up in the air. I think he could score 30 fantasy points for you easy this week. I love Cam Newton this yeah, week. Yeah, the interesting thing, sometimes in a game like that, you worry that the game's over and the quarterback doesn't have to throw, but he's also their best running back. So anytime they get near the goal line, he must have – I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but he must have 10 rushing touchdowns or right around there. Um, my sit this week is Phillip Rivers at Denver – or versus Denver. They're in San Diego. Look, it's a really tough week for sits as far as quarterback goes, not to kind of cop out of this, but uh, – they're, the starts seem like obvious starts, like you said. A guy like Aaron Rodgers against Detroit. Uh, a guy like Matthew Stafford against Green Bay, who gives up a ton of yards. Those are all obvious starts. And I'm not want, I don't want to put my name behind sitting those guys. Phillip Rivers is kind of a gut call. A uh, lot to do with just how the, how Denver's been rolling. I kind of like Denver's defense. They're not great against the pass. Von and Miller's a stud, huh? Yeah. And Phillip Rivers just hasn't been good this year. So, again, especially if you play in a league that – penalizes or penalizes heavily interceptions. I don't think you want anything to do with Phillip Rivers. I will say it now. I think if you're in a league that is minus four for QBs and interceptions, Rivers is unstartable. And Cam Newton has nine rushing TDs, so he's right around close to 10. For my start at running back this year or this week, I'm going to give you a couple. First, if James Starks is out, I think Ryan Grant is a great play this week. Uh, if James Starks is in, I don't think it's a great play because they're going to platoon, and I don't think either of them will have a lot of value. Yeah, they both, they're, they're really a case. Like in the past, D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart have made it where both of them work. And maybe this year that, that example would be like Ben Tate and Arian Foster. But Well, I'm going to get to that right now. Oh, I'm sorry. If Grant doesn't play, or if Grant isn't, if Starks plays, forget Grant, and instead start one of the Panthers running backs against the Colts. If you are in a PPR, I recommend Jonathan Stewart. If you're not in a PPR, I recommend D'Angelo Williams. But as frustrating as it's been for those guys, they both had pretty decent weeks last week. Uh, Stewart probably the better of the two, especially in a PPR because he had uh, six or seven catches. But they both had decent weeks, and I love the matchup against the Colts, who are 29 against the run. So I, I wouldn't be shy if you need a flex play to put either of those two in this week. I'm looking at... Uh Carolina's numbers, there's statistics here because I was looking for Cam Newton's rush touchdown. D'Angelo Williams is averaging 5.1 yards a carry. Jonathan Stewart's averaging 4.5 yards a carry. Great numbers. They've been really, really effective. So yep. it's really strange. It's just an amount, it's a matter of touches. It. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's strange that a 2-8 and eight team wouldn't maybe try to slow it down. Like, I know Cam Newton's been great, but maybe his, uh, maybe as good as he's been, maybe it's kind of hurting the coaching philosophy there, they should be pounding the ball more, it looks like. My running back sit this week is another one that's gonna got a good chance to bite me. Uh, I chose to sit Frank Gore. Again, balls. not a guy you're probably realistically sitting, but if you have better options, he is playing against Baltimore in Baltimore where I, they are undefeated. Uh, it's banged up. Baltimore defense is good. They... Played well without Ray Lewis last week, and I believe he'll be back. I don't think he's had some long-term injury. 
I know the I know the 49ers are nine and one. This isn't a game I like them in. I think the Ravens could keep this really low scoring on the San Francisco side. I wasn't gonna go with Ray Rice again because I think this could be the type of game that's so low scoring that the Ravens just give him the ball all day long and let him do it. So I'm gonna I'm sitting Frank Gore this week. All right, I knew I wanted to recommend the Lions because it seems like every year the Lions play their best game at home on Thanksgiving. Right. And that might not be the case this year because they're an improved team, but I still think that they're going to give Green Bay a run for their money. And we know that Green Bay gives up a lot of passing yards. I'm not going to take the easy way out and recommend Calvin Johnson, although I think he's going to have a great game. Instead, I'm going to recommend Nate Burleson, who had a good game last week, and I don't see why he won't have a good game again this week. Uh, Calvin Johnson is probably going to draw coverage from Woodson, which is uh, their best corner. Right. So... Nate Burleson could be a very good start for you this week. And he's might maybe even available in some leagues still. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my wide receiver sit this week is a guy that I won't actually be sitting in a league I have him in, but I don't expect a lot. So I hope I'm wrong here. Uh, Andre Johnson is expected to return this week. The Texans have a high-powered offense. They've continued to do it without him. But they face Jacksonville, who's been surprisingly good on defense this year, despite their 3-7 and seven record. They're fourth in the league against the pass. And the Texans are also starting Matt Leinart in his first start in God knows how many weeks. So temper expectations with Andre Johnson. And like I said, I hope I'm wrong. All right, last thing for Five on Fantasy. Don is going to quickly update the Sportscasters Fantasy League. Sportscasters had another successful week uh, with – me putting up 174 points in a 80-point win over Gordon Fishsticks, who is the first-place team in Steve's division. So I helped out Steve, who won his game over Manning up by a tight 3.26 margin. So uh, any, what is that, 32 points? Okay, I'm not doing the math well here. <laughs> But however, it does the. This is why I usually do the sportscast. However, it does the percentages. Steve won by three point two six points in a tight win over Manning up, and uh, it look it's looking pretty good that me and Steve will both be in the playoffs in our league, which is which is nice because it's not embarrassing and uh, (laughs) looks like we know what we're talking about, and uh, it looks like our magic number for both of us is right around one. So one win for us or loss by anyone behind us, and we'll lock it up and we can get ready for the playoffs in two weeks. All right, we're going to take a break and be right back with Adam Rank. All right, our next guest is a native of Southern California and is a graduate of Cal State Fullerton. He's also a stand-up comedian, gives fantasy advice on NFL.com, and is the co-host of the Dave Damashek Football Podcast. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very funny Adam Rank. How are you doing today, Adam? Guys, I am wonderful. My my eyes are welling from hearing the sweet tones of the Cal State Fullerton fight song. <laughs> yeah, people love to hear their college fight song. Like, we, it, oh. whenever we can do it, where like you didn't expect it to, like you know, people who've been on two, three times, they, they know it's coming. But whenever we can get someone who doesn't expect it, they just they love it. They melt. People love. How it. did you even find it? I'm so amazed. I, I, I couldn't be more impressed right now. Well, <laughs> it was hours of research. Well, yeah. Yeah, we, we uh, you know, we did what we had to do to find it. It took hours, but we found it for you. <laughs> and uh, uh, we want to make sure, you know, you, you feel appreciated on the show. It's your first time. And um, Dave 
Damashek, your your buddy, uh, is a buddy of ours. He's uh, he's my boss. I don't know. If uh, you, okay, your boss. It's it's a strictly boss subordinate relationship. Well, you, he's <laughs> he's not our boss, but he's probably the reason we're here. We're we're both big Dave Damashek fans, and we're inspired inspired to do a podcast because he proved that it can be such a great, uh, I guess, medium. Uh, and he suggested that we get a hold of you. He said. When he was on episode fifty, this is episode fifty-two. He said, "You got to get Rank on." He said he's one of the one of the best co-hosts I've had, and uh, so I did some research and I stumbled upon your comedy. And let's start there. Uh, you are a stand-up comedian in the Southern California area, and I laughed along at the stuff you had on YouTube. I found myself wishing there was some more. Uh, tell us a little bit about being a stand-up comedian. We've never had one on before, I don't think, and. It's got to make for some interesting challenges. Absolutely. Well, first off, let's start all the way back at the beginning again and talk about Mr. Dave Damashek, who when I joke about him being my boss or whatever, but I'm very grateful to him because he's given me the opportunity to be on his podcast. And as you guys said, I was a fan of his just like you're, like you guys were. I listened to him when he was on the Days of Thunder. He had a show locally here on the ESPN radio network that I listened yep. to. So it's been a great, tremendous thrill to be working with him, and I couldn't couldn't be happier with everything, the way it's going, and how much more we've got in store. We're going to have the Dave Damashek Broadcast Center opening up here, Studio 66 at NFL Network. That's coming next week, so that's going to be exciting. And you talk about the comedy. It is something that's been a lifelong love of mine that I started way back in my days at Cal State Fullerton. That's why I was going to college. I got I got my parents hoodwinked into this whole notion that I was going to be, you know, go to college and do a regular job. I was there for the comedy, and I was just doing my thing, you know, but then it turns out that eventually they want you to pick a major and graduate. <laughs> and so, you know, and I, I didn't like taking tests. I still don't like taking tests. So journalism was always something. I was writing jokes anyway, so... I went out and I said, all right, you know, I'll do this journalism thing. And through one, you know, miracle or another, I ended up covering my L.A. Rams for the startup newspaper. And next thing you know, I'm working for the NFL and everything and and just going off and doing that and working for NFL Publishing right while I was still in college and kind of put the comedy on a back burner until a couple of years ago. I decided, you know what, I've always wanted to do this. I've you know, I've I've really wanted to, you know, make a serious go of it. So with the support of my wife, she allowed, you know, she gave me the green light to go ahead and go do this. And it's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, you spend a lot of nights in seedy bars and coffee joints, you know, coming up with this material and trying to just, you know, bugging everybody, you know, like, hey, is this funny? Is this a better way to say this? And you know, and I can't be in here in the halls of the NFL and say anything without everybody go, oh, he's trying material again. <laughs> like, I can't help it if I'm a naturally funny person. That's, it's just me being me. So it's a, lot of, it's a lot of trials and tribulation, but it's a lot of fun, too. You know, it's, I get a chance to go out and tell people what I think for 10 minutes at a time. And, you know, you got to sit there and listen. And most of the time they do. You know, it's interesting that you've kind of found yourself paired with Dave because although he's not necessarily a stand-up comedian, he's def- he writes a lot of comedy. Uh, being a, I know he's doing pages now for Jimmy Kimmel Live, and uh, we've talked to him about a lot of the different shows that, that he's uh, written for. Have you used him as a research, uh, resource to kind of progress your comedy? Have you tried some bits on him? And what does he say about you, Adam Rank, as a comedian? 
Well, it's funny when you go out and you do a lot of the shows and you do a lot of open mics, the most of the time you're performing for other comics. There's usually not an audience there and you're performing for comics. And the toughest thing to do is to make another comic laugh. So a lot of times you're sitting there with Dave and if, if I can make Dave laugh at something, then you know it's funny. Because like you guys said, he's, he's written for Jimmy Kimmel. He's a professional. He's a pro's pro. So, yeah. So if, if I can make Dave laugh with something, and you got to kind of approach it, you know, and you don't want to set it up like, hey, I've, I've come up with this joke, and you just start talking. And I've always, you know, and I've also got a, a notebook by my side so that anything funny ever comes out of my mouth, somebody laughs at something. I'm like, oh, was that? Okay, that's amusing. And I write it down, and then... You know, I'll go back to it later and see if it's something funny to use. But, yeah, he's been a great resource, and it's great to talk out jokes and bits and things. And he's got such a great mind for comedy. So it has helped out a little bit. Well, let's talk a little bit about the podcast that you and Dave do together. It's, I think it's just called the Dave Damashek Football Podcast, right? You guys it's have... the Dave Damashek Football Program. And program. you'll notice my name's nowhere in the title or anything. <laughs> but <laughs> but you guys have had some great experiences. You guys went out to the Hall of Fame and uh, did some shows from there. You did one in a car, if I recall correctly. Oh, the car, yeah. We were flying. We flew to the banks of the Three Rivers, came out. We went to uh, Primanti's to have a mm. Primanti sandwich. You know, you always see it when you're on watching Sunday Night Football. Always see that stuff, and you're like, oh, I want to try it, you know? Mm -hmm. I got a chance to try it, and then our – producer got us lost we were going through ohio like we're driving from pittsburgh <laughs> to ohio yeah and i'm like how is it like every year the election comes down to ohio like who's carrying ohio right. where are the people the swing i states. expected to see at least one city on the way from pittsburgh to ohio to make it like why is ohio always deciding our elections right what is there youngstown maybe on that trip maybe you passed youngstown there's maybe some people there but. Yeah, it was something. We were passing some towns where it was kind of like, I don't know if you saw the movie Twister, where there was just kind of like barns out in the middle of nowhere. You're right, like, yeah. what is this place? Yeah, so as for the podcast, it seems like you guys are catching your stride, and it must be nice that you ended up having football for your football podcast, because when you guys started it, you were still in the middle of the lockout, right? So I wonder, what would the what would you guys have done if if football would have set out like the nba looks like they're gonna do oh yeah i know we would have been in a lot of breaking down the film between shane falco and johnny utah trying to figure out who's the best fictional quarterback of course the answer to that question is shane falco but you know a lot of stuff like that and then we also we often uh get razzed because we don't we're not necessarily complete football in our podcast because a lot of times We'll veer off in different directions, and if you listen to me for any amount of time, I'm still a little bitter that the the Rams folded. So I will sometimes bring up Lakers, King, or you know Lakers, Kings, Angels, anything like that. We had a huge debate where we were talking about Magic versus Michael. That kind of stuff goes on. So we always seem to be able to find, you know, some sort of as he says, hooey and applesauce to talk about, and it always makes for great fun. What day do you guys usually record? You guys are weekly, right? One a week. They're bouncing us around, you know. Reversal. Yeah. This is a problem you get. We're like the Deion Sanders of podcasters because you can put us any day. We're bringing our A game. You need us Thursday morning, we're there. You need us Tuesday afternoon, we're there. So we're kind of bouncing around right now. Like I said, we're trying to get the Dave Damashek football uh, program broadcast center up, Studio 66 at the NFL Network. Trying to get that up and running. 
So we're kind of fluid, but I think we're going to lock into Tuesdays, and Tuesday will be the day. But if you have a chance, and I implore anybody, I know I'm not being funny right now, but if you go to iTunes and you find the Dave Damashek football program, you will not be disappointed. And if you are, we will pay the price that it costs you <laughs> to, to subscribe. We have the same guarantee here. <laughs> yeah, we have a similar guarantee. Uh, it's always nice to guarantee nothing. Uh, <laughs> Dave must be absolutely swooning right now. Did you get to see Crosby at all last night? Yeah, he was over the moon for this Crosby guy. I guess he's good. I don't know. Yeah, um, but yeah, he might he, have a future. Yeah, he might be good because he kept talking about it. He goes, he goes, hey, you know, the greatest player, you know, is coming back. And I'm like, no, Drew Doughty's been playing. Right, yeah. Andre, Andre Kopitar came back. I don't know what you're talking about. Who's great comeback? I guess Sid the Kid came back. But, yeah, he's over the moon for it. You know what the worst part was? Is the Kings played host to the Penguins out here, and we missed it. Yeah, you missed we didn't it by go a couple to that weeks, game. huh? And it was an overtime. It ended in a shootout. And it was going to be a fantastic time, and we blew it. That Fantasy Live thing on Sunday morning, it kind of kept us away. Right. So tell us about Fantasy Live. That's another thing you guys do together, and – uh, it's great. It's another thing that I feel like it's just catching its stride and everything's getting better and better. How are your fantasy teams doing this year? Dave said that his Cool Cats team stink this year. How have you been doing? Any better? Not much better. No. It's been terrible. It's been like the real-life version of the Houston Texans where everybody's getting injured. I had Dre Johnson. I had Kenny Britt. I had Jamal Charles. I was walking out of the draft like laughing at people like, do you guys even know what you're doing? Like, I have the greatest teams ever assembled. And then they've just all fallen apart. Band-Aids. I was starting Lance Ball the other week. Like, that's how bad my life has become. It's like, okay, I might as well give up, start trading my good players to my friends or doing whatever because it's not working out for me. You know, no NFL injury has pissed me off more than that Kenny Britt injury. Because I had Kenny Britt in a bunch of teams, and he was going to have a killer year, too. You know, he was going to win leagues. Yeah, because Hasselbeck was playing so good. If he had Kenny Britt, because I actually thought the Titans were going to win the AFC South this year. I was all in on them. I'm like, Hasselbeck will be great. Kenny Britt will be good. It's hurt Chris Johnson. All that nonsense going on. Yep. It's been a huge disappointment. Yeah, that, that, inter- that, that injury really bummed me out because I had him in a few leagues, and it just made my team so much more dynamic to have drafted him like in the third receiver position and having him put up in those first two weeks. He put up like 30 points both of the first two weeks that he played the full game, and then the third game he got injured. So, yeah, that, yeah that's, that's where stopped. I had him, too. He was like a number yeah. three receiver, and you're like, what are you guys thinking? I love having him right there. Yeah, that was going to be sick. But, you know, I got, I got lucky because I held on to Murray for a while. You know, so oh, I had Murray nice. in a couple leagues. I had him stored away. And uh, because only because I'm a big Oklahoma Sooners fan, and I know how great he was in college. And, you know, me and Zach, you score, or Sooner Zach, argue about whether or not DeMarco Murray is good. But uh, DeMarco Murray is putting some, some, uh, some checks in my column because he's been great in the NFL so far. What, uh, don't, listen, don't listen to Sooner Zach. That's where you make your first mistake. Yeah, exactly, and I'm proving him wrong with the DeMarco Murray thing, and I'm making. That's sh- a genius call. I picked him up in our NFL Network league, and it's supposed to be some sort of like experts league. And I'm like, how is he still out? Because like, believe me, I had such great running backs that I didn't really have room for everybody. I was too busy stacking because in the team where I lost um, that one guy, Jamal Charles, yeah, I still had uh, I still had Action Jackson backing him up. 
So I was stoked. And then when DeMarco Murray came onto the scene, I picked him up. I've been rolling with it. What about do the- you guys watch? Do you guys watch the Fantasy Live? By the way, yeah, uh, I watch it just about every week. I probably let's see, we've had what eleven weeks. I've probably seen eight of eleven. I'd guess. I like. It. Well, here's the thing, and this is what I tell everybody: I need more screen time. I think. Don't won't you agree? Yeah, they kind of. Yeah, I've noticed that. It, it seems like you know, in the podcast, it's a little bit closer to fifty fifty, but on the NFL Live, it's almost like they're they're trying to humiliate you or something. I'll defer to Dave on the podcast. That's fine. You know what? If I'm the Ben Tate of that podcast, <laughs> so be it. I'm happy. Give me a couple of reps. I'll go in. I'll knock it out. It's good. This one, I'm like Derek Ward, you know, the, the complete understudy. Wow, I come Derek in. Ward, yeah. I do my thing. So I need everybody when, on this Sunday. When you, when you watch the show on NFL.com or the uh, NFL Red Zone channel in certain markets, would tweet in to NFL Fantasy, at NFL Fantasy, hashtag Rank Tank, because it's starting to take over. That's fantastic that you guys have the, uh, the ability to be on the Red Zone channel, too. Is there anything better than the Red Zone channel? I mean, is that not one of the greatest innovations in sports media of the last 20 years? It's the greatest. I don't watch anything else. I find myself not watching games. I put it on the Red Zone channel. We got things up and you know... Here at the at the NFL Network studios, we've got TVs everywhere, but the TV on my desk always has the Red Zone channel on because it's fantastic. I just want to see scoring. You know, it's like watching porn. I just want the scoring. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't want the backstory. I don't want to know why the gardener has to go inside when he can use the hose. Just show me the scoring. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So you, uh, what's the word for those porns? Isn't there a word, a word to describe porns that are just the scoring? The Skinamax version? I don't know. I guess there, there probably is one. I think but I know this, but I mean, they should have a like if you have a porn network, they should have a red zone version of a porn network. Right. Yeah. Where it's just all the like you could be, you know, they could have five channels of Spice and Skinamax and everything. But there's a channel that is be like, okay, look, we'll go to channel 56. These guys, Jenna Jameson's going at it right now, getting close to scoring. You know, maybe that, that could be a great off-season gig for Scott Hansen or Andrew Siciliano, depending on whether you watch the NFL Network's version or DirecTV's. Right. Don, you think you know the word? Yeah, I'm almost embarrassed to admit it. What uh, is it? Uh, gonzo pornography, I think it's called. Gonzo pornography. I looked it up. Gonzo, yes. Urban Dictionary says that uh, <laughs> gonzo porn <laughs> took the storyline out of adult movies. Yep, gonzo porn. I knew there was a word Let's for it. Let's do it. I think we start our own gonzo red zone channel type thing. I think we've hatched an idea. Yeah, we've, we've figured, wow, yeah. We, it's a million-dollar idea. You know, everyone's <laughs> always trying to come up with that in their life. What's the one idea I could come up with? That could make us a million dollars, and I think that we found it. Gonzo that's one. Porn Gonzo, zone. Gonzo porn, that's number one. Another one, and I, I started talking about this years ago, and I'm finally starting to see it because it's a special, but I always said that we should have the car chase channel where it's nothing but car chases. So, like, any time, and it's, I mean, actually out here in California, Channel 5 is the car chase channel because... Anytime there's a chase on, it's on immediately. Right. But you just have nothing but car chases. And if there ever comes a point where there's like not a car chase, then you go to an older one. Stock footage. But yeah. you find the guy in prison and have him commentate over it like it's a director's cut type thing. Very And smooth. be like, you know, what are you thinking right here? You're right. running from the cops now. A lot of people would say, 
you turn right here, take the five down to Mexico, but you <laughs> instead went back inland. What were you thinking? And, you know, like really grill these guys and get to the bottom of why they're running. And then, like, the crown jewel of it, it would be the, the time that you have the OJ from prison talking about his chase. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would be the big yes, rating straw. Exactly. Yeah. OJ in his uh, orange jumpsuit sitting. Yeah. Well, you know, this is where I pulled the gun up to my head, and I was really considering it. And then, oh, no, yep, this is where, we, this is where I decided no suicide, you know. And, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, that's sweet, it. Sweet, sweet, see? Yeah. We're on the same page. We're, we're there. I love We've it. We've got this nailed. We're going to make so much money. Yeah, we we need to be business partners because we've just talked for like ten minutes. We already have two million dollar ideas. We already have <laughs> two great ideas. Uh, tell me if you can solve this mystery because we're recording on November twenty second, which of course is the day that Kennedy was assassinated. Adam Rank, yeah. who did it? Who did it? Yes, who killed Kennedy? The the real like obviously the the fake answer is Lee Harvey Oswald. Right. But the conspiracy thing always strikes me i don't know if you guys believe in that illuminati stuff or whatever i always find it fascinating i always i'm always fascinated i don't know if you guys have ever been to dealey plaza but when you look at it and you look at the way he was driving up the street like so many different shots could have happened you know right like so many different things and if you go up into the book uh depository building and you look down you're like god that's a hard shot like that i don't know how somebody makes that shot I always tend, I, I don't like to be one of those conspiracy theorists, but I think something else had to be going on. There's just too much, I don't know, I don't know if, it's, if it makes me one of those conspiracy theorists cracks. I just have to, I, part of it too is it's hard to believe and it's frightening to believe that just one crazy person could have so much power. Like, I almost right. think it's more comforting to think like it was some grand conspiracy because I think that just one idiot could make such a huge difference in the world is almost more frightening than the thought that there is a conspiracy if that makes any sense and you don't have to be jesse ventura to think that someone <laughs> other than lee harvey oswald killed kennedy you know like some things like if you're trying to tell me that george bush was responsible for 9-11 or that there's something in alaska that controls the weather you know that makes you like a true conspiracy theorist but i i think if you're just trying to say that someone besides oswald killed kennedy you're okay there yes i like the whole do you watch that that jesse ventura show yes i did watch them all i, lo I love jesse ventura he's just so fascinating to me i don't know that i agree with him all the time but he's fascinating i would vote first of all i would vote for him for president <laughs> that goes without saying. Right. And did you see the one where they were doing the thing in the Denver airport? Yes. How trippy. What, what is that painting in that airport? I don't know. Like when I started there. looking at it, and yeah. I'm like, that is a frightening photo. Why would you even think of putting up a painting like that in an airport if it wasn't some sort of conspiracy? Yeah, and that airport, I've been there. It's just weird. Like, it's they put so much money into it, and it was like kind of a bust of an airport to begin with, and... I'm with Jesse. There might be something weird going on there for sure. I agree. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit of football before I let you go, and I should reset. Oh, don't make me talk football. <laughs> the sportscasters are here with Adam Rank, who is the co-host of the Dave Damashek football program and also is on Fantasy Football Live, which airs Sunday mornings on NFL.com or DirecTV. And you can also find Adam on Twitter, which is at Adam Rank, simply, correct? 
Simply, yes, yeah, at Adam Rank. At Adam and Rank. the NFL Fantasy Live also comes on Monday through Friday on NFL.com and on NFL Network, 2 p.m. at where you guys are at, Tuesday through Friday. And you can always reach our show, too, at NFL Fantasy. And on Tuesdays, I'm, Tuesdays and Sundays, I'm usually there answering tweets. But I usually do it for my own. Very nice. So I want to talk a little bit of football before we let you go. And it seems like there is going to be – there's some obvious – at this point, we have a pretty clear picture of some of the playoff teams. Like we know Green Bay is going to be in the playoffs. Probably figure yeah. the Saints are going to win the NFC South. That's pretty safe bet at this point. Uh, yeah. What, some some things are out there. Like, what do you think? What do you make of the NFC East? What do you make of the AFC West? What's going to happen with the Texans without Schaub? These are some things I'm wondering. Couple of things. We'll start with the last question you had about the Texans. Matt Leinart is going to be fine. I don't like him as a fantasy guy, but as a real football player, I like him because all he's going to be asked to do hand the ball off to the running backs, hand the ball off to Arian Foster, hand the ball off to Ben Tate. Throw it to Dre Johnson when you have to make a play. They have enough talent there to go out, take the AFC South. Probably could work them work their ways into a number two spot, which would have been guaranteed if Matt Schaub was there, but will probably fall back into the number three hole more than likely. Because I bet unless the NFC, unless the AFC North gets a little bit more competitive and Cincinnati can pull some upsets of the top two, so I like what Liner's going to do. He's going to be fine. Also in the and then in the what in the AFC East though I'm worried about your guys' bills. Oh, you guys oh they're bills done. Yeah, yeah, they're they're done. They're history, right? Yeah, yeah they're toast. done. They're dead in the water. Why would you give that money to Ryan Fitzpatrick? No idea. Do Sick. it after the season. What's the rush? What is this whole notion of like? Oh, we got to pay him right now. Like, where is he going? What's his market? Like, where did you were really fearing he was going to walk somewhere? But no. <laughs> so I think the, the, the Bills are probably done. I'm not huge on the Jets either. Mark Sanchez might be the worst quarterback in the NFL. Worst, like, somewhat good quarterback. Good, right. so I'm not going to count yep. John Skelton and those right. curtain jerkers and stuff. So he might be the worst. I don't like them. So there's going to be uh, uh, NFL.com and their videos. Don's going. You can tell when Don goes to NFL.com because videos <laughs> start playing in the background. Go ahead, Adam. Sorry about if that. If I, you know what? If I, if I was free to talk, which I probably wouldn't, sometimes I'm not going to say anything, but just know if I was free to talk, I would have an opinion on that. Gotcha. But <laughs> we, we also got – so that I, I like the Patriots, I like the Steelers, I like the Ravens, Texans, AFC West. The Raiders are going to win the AFC West. They're going to hold they're off gonna, the they, they got the better team, yeah. They, they've probably got the most talent. They're, they're buying into what their coach is putting out there. Carson Palmer's been playing good enough feel like the Chargers are just regressing. That relationship between North Turner and Phillip Rivers just looks like it's not happening. And I don't know how many times you can run North Turner out there and just be surprised that his team sucks. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you put out you know, a, a sitcom with Jay Moore in it, and you're like, oh, I can't believe this is tanking. <laughs> well, you should, because every single one of them tanks. Oh, you're not like, a Jay Moore guy? I don't know guy? what you expected. What was going to be different this time? Gary but, Unmarried? You didn't like Gary yeah. Unmarried? <laughs> I liked Rob Riggle. I thought he was awesome. He was like the Cam Newton. Like he was a good player on a crappy show. <laughs> you know, like right. that was a per that's what he was. He was like, oh, he's like really good. You're like, I, I guess he needs to get paid, so I don't blame him for doing what he's got to do. So it's like that. So there's also, so that means I've got five teams right. out there in the AFC 
I'm not quite ready to give up on Tennessee, but this is a crazy thing. The Broncos, I'm done doubting Tebow. It's too late. I'm done. I, he's beating me down. I'm like, T- fine, Tebow's never going to lose. He's going to win. He's going to complete one pass, and it's going to be an 80-yard touchdown at the end of the game. He's going to win. I'm done betting against – or not betting, but doubting the guy because he just, he just wins. And at some point, you just can't – you know, as much as you want it to not be true and you can make fun of his throwing motion, you want to mock him for his religious beliefs, whatever. He likes religion? The guy's winning. And there's <laughs> – I there's think, no better argument than, like, I'm sorry, I win. You're like, yeah, I guess there's really – there's no comeback to that. Right. I had no idea he was religious. Yeah. <laughs> I had no apparently, idea. Apparently he's in a religion. Wow. They, they actually showed – They showed a good stat during the one game, and uh, his numbers are actually better than Elway's through eight games, which I know is probably a bit skewed, and Elway didn't look funny throwing the ball and stuff like that, but – He's got more passing yards, wins, his touchdown to interception ratio is better, and his rush yards are obviously way better. So as ugly well, as it looks, he gets guys, it done. I was alive when Elway was a rookie, <laughs> and he sucked. Yeah. He was awful. He looked terrible. There were times you're like, really? Like, this guy looks terrible now. And he had no talent around him, and this was back before parody was really – uh, before it had really taken a stranglehold on the game that we know and love now. The 84 and he was playing season. with some terrible teams, looking awful. But, yeah, Tebow's going out there. He's learning how to throw. As long as he keeps progressing, like, he's going out and winning when he's not good. If he, if he can get, like, somewhat medi- – like, if he can work his way up to mediocre, yeah, he'll be yeah. fine. Yeah, absolutely. So that gives us that- six in the AFC. Where are you going in the NFC? The NFC is so much more interesting because obviously the Packers are running away with it. I'm not now before Jay Cutler got hurt, I was not convinced that the Packers were going to be the number 1 seed because San Francisco to me looks like a team that could easily go 15 and 1. And right. everybody's going to come out and they're going to say, "Oh, well, San Francisco is going to lose this week to the Ravens because they got to travel cross country." And they got to do this. And I'm going to say this, and you know what? And I hate to take it out on you guys because you're on the East Coast. Buffalo, you're my people. I love Buffalo. <laughs> I love Philadelphia. I love, I love a lot of the East Coast. But it's Boston and it's Manhattan that I cannot stand. And I do not like the attitude that comes out because a lot of the attitude comes from there. And they dismiss a team like the 49ers. And to me, it's a lot like what happened when USC was good when they were in the middle of their run with Leonard and Bush and all those guys. And all these people would always say, well, you know, USC just doesn't have the athletes to come out and compete with Oklahoma and compete with, you know, these other schools. And then USC would go out and kick the shit out of them. Right. And then, you know, oh, who who would have thought this? Well, anybody who watched the team play saw this because the team's that good. And I feel, and I hate the 49ers. There's no team I hate more than the 49ers. And it pains me to give them any credit whatsoever. This team's good. You know, and their they're, they're defense is for real. And if there's one team, because the Lions showed last year that if you get enough pressure and you can contain Aaron Rodgers and knock him to the ground, you can beat that team. And the Lions showed it last year. The 49ers would be able to do that this year. So the 49ers and the Packers will be one and two. The Saints, as we'd mentioned before, they're going to take that last. They're going to take that, excuse me, the AFC South. And then in the East, it gets a little bit more interesting. Right. For a while, I thought the Eagles were going to rise back up, but I've kind of given up on that. By default, I'm going to say it's going to be the Giants. Okay. So we have the Giants, the Packers, the Saints, the 49ers. The Falcons are 
the Lions, I would I would have put the Bears. The Bears, to me, would have been automatic had Jay Cutler stayed healthy. They're still going to stay in the race because Matt Forte is pretty good. Haney can just be somewhat mediocre. And like you said, we're taping this on Tuesday, so we don't know if Kyle Orton ends up back there again. But regardless, the, the Bears will stay in it. I'm saying that the Lions will make the playoffs, though. I think that team's pretty good. They've had some issues where they've looked bad and had some bad games, but I really like the way they rally. I mean, they rallied yeah. against them. I know it's against the Panthers, but they rallied against them. They rallied against the Cowboys. They've shown that they can come back, and a lot of teams can't do that. I like them. They'll take one, and then it comes down probably Atlanta. Atlanta's starting to get a little bit better, starting to play a little bit more solid. Their defense is actually better than people are giving them credit for. So I'm going to say that. I'm going to say the Cowboys missed the playoffs. I'm going to say the Chargers missed the playoffs. I'm going to say the Jets missed the playoffs. Something that I wrote, and actually if the playoffs started today, all three of those teams would be out. So I don't know if that's a bold prediction, but that's what I'm saying. And can you give us, because I don't know if we'll talk to you between now and then or not, but what do you, what's your Super Bowl prediction? Well, I'm glad that we're talking about getting me on again, because I want to be on. I want yeah, to talk to my people in Buffalo. Yeah, I'm here you. for Buffalo. Let me tell you something, too. Okay. Buffalo better stay in Buffalo. As a Los Angeles person who wants the NFL to return, and I may be the only one, I will be extremely upset. I would turn my back on the Bills if they moved to Los Angeles. Yeah, I will not accept that. Just take the Jets. They deserve, they deserve to be in Buffalo. And I'll tell you guys this, and I, know, I don't know how it, how it feels for this to happen, but the game in Toronto, I don't know how you guys feel about the game in Toronto. Ugh, the game yeah. in Toronto to me, if it goes out and it makes you money and it keeps you guys in the area, I think so it's worth it. it. Right. And Green Bay did cool. it. Green Bay did yeah, it in Green, Milwaukee exactly. for a long time. Yep. So why not? Exactly. And yep. I love that. I loved when Green Bay would play because when they play in Milwaukee, they both teams would be on the same sideline because of the way that stadium configuration <laughs> right. was. Yeah. So that was always kind of a cool little quirk that they would have. So Buffalo, play a couple games in Toronto. You've got the awesome uniforms. Your team's getting close. You're getting close. I'm not completely writing you off yet. Your team's getting close. You've got to stay in Buffalo. That has to happen. I agree. So I think we're talking about the AFC. But anyways, I love Buffalo. I feel like kinship with teams like Buffalo I, I, and, you know, in that area. I love that area because I go out to Canton every year. You guys mentioned it previously. Yeah. I love being out there. I love the drive-in. And I know I was making fun of like, hey, where's the election come from? But I love I love the area. I love you know what I like? I like going into a bar and paying two fifty for a beer. <laughs> yeah, you can do that, that in Buffalo. That is fantastic. I I don't live in LA County. I live down in Orange County, which you would think if you watch the real housewives of O C and all that nonsense, that it would be more expensive, but I live in more of a a Kentucky like version of the Orange County where, you know, it's not as it's not as spending. And I it drives me crazy. To go into a place and they're like, yeah, you know, I have a beer and it's seven bucks for a right. Heineken. You're like, what's wrong with the world? Why am I living here? <laughs> right. But the Buffalo people, salt of the earth, and I love them. And I'm done kissing up because I'm going to make my AFC <laughs> prediction. I've actually made this before. Here's what happens. The Oakland Raiders, they will play host to the Steelers in the first round of the playoffs. Beat them. Okay. Go out to Houston who gets the number two seed. And I might have to change this. We'll see on that liner, please. They play Houston, that number two seed. They're a little rusty. They beat Houston. And okay. then they go to New England. Ooh. 
They play New England in the snow. And in a crucial moment, oh, no. with nobody Tom. <laughs> around him, Tom Brady fumbles. Oh, no. And they go, how does this happen? It's the hand of Al Davis coming from the <laughs> heavens to knock it out of Tom Brady's hands. Now, replay can't overturn this one. Nope. The Raiders recover. The Raiders win. The Raiders go to the Super Bowl to where they play the Packers. Okay. And the Packers beat the shit out of them. <laughs> but the Raiders are in the Super Bowl. All right, Raiders and Packers, with the Packers beating the shit out of the Raiders. Yes. <laughs> I like, and I feel gratuitous to throwing it out, throwing out a couple of S words. I don't know. You said you watched my comedy. I don't cuss a lot, right? Right, but you do cover some kind of risque topics. Risque? I'm covering the, it's not risque at all. No. Do you think Tim Tebow would like my, my explanation of church? I don't think Tim, Tim Tebow <laughs> would enjoy that part of your comedy, no. I'm telling you, I, everybody goes, oh, so you don't go to church. I go to church. I go, listen to what I'm saying. It's not completely out. It's just how I would think it would go. Let's say, I don't know. I have a take. Well, how am I wrong? Like, everybody's got, like, their own interpretations. I feel like I, I'm not saying I'm a martyr, but... I'm up there. Okay, since you're back on comedy, as a comedian, uh, give us like your top five list. Not necessarily in any order, but who are your top five comedians? Comedians? Now, i got to do it with guys that you've probably heard, because I see guys who are probably a little bit more obscure. But I'm going to say, going right now, the funniest guy going, it's, it's a toss-up, because there's a couple of good ones. Brian Regan is the best comic we working today. If you get a chance show. to YouTube any of his stuff, yeah, I have his first album. He's great. He's the best. Like, it's unbelievable. And in the same breath, I'll say that Louis C.K. Yep. is right there, number two. And they're complete opposites. Right. And I love that about them. Is that, you know what? I like when people just go out and do their thing. And people always ask, like, hey, you know, should I be clean? Should I be dirty? Should I talk about this? Should I talk about that? It's like, whatever you talk about. Like, whatever you want to talk about. I think you should go talk about like me. I mean, if you see it, you haven't seen my extended stuff. It's all good. But I deal with, you know, a-hole soccer moms from Orange County. So I'm going to talk about that. You know, and I don't know, you know, and they all think that pot's bad or whatever. And, you know, and people who get upset about other things, I'll touch on those topics because I'll talk about them. So I like when a comic is just honest with themselves. And if they're dirty, so be it. Like Bobby Slayton's another guy that I really like. I really enjoy him. So, I like him. I like Jeff Dunham, the guy who has the puppets. Okay. Feel he's hilarious. And it's, again, a completely different kind of comedy. Jay Moore, I made fun of his TV shows. His, his TV <laughs> shows are, are, are crap. But his stand-up's pretty good. Tracy Morgan's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I'm I like throwing out names. Yeah, I like Carrot Top. <laughs> you know what, Carrot... I, I tell you, and every, everybody likes to throw out Carrot Top, if I ever headline... In Las Vegas, and I'm on billboards, and I'm selling out the Luxor every night. I don't care what you say about me; what, See, I, it doesn't matter. That guy's. It's always it's always the people who aren't funny who are always like the most upset. And like I don't particularly like Dane Cook, but I don't sit there and bat. I'm like, you know, people laugh at him, and he makes money. I I really cannot. I'm on a fantasy football show. I don't think I'm <laughs> at a, a part of my life where I can be like. Dane Cook is this or that because you know what he's doing it and he's been great and his episode on Louis was the best. 
I don't, I don't think I saw, I saw that, that one. Yeah, I've seen. Most you didn't of see Dane Cook on Louis. I don't. If I did, I didn't notice it was Dane Cook. Somehow. Oh no, you would have noticed. Huh? We'll have to look that up. You know? Oh, it was the last season. You got to go find that. You got to watch it. It was so great. The one with Doug Stanhope was really good too. But Doug Stanhope wasn't playing himself. Dane Cook was, and it was actually bringing in the real stuff that him and Louis C.K. had going on in real life. And his movie, Employee of the Month, was really, really good, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You know, there was it, a comedy club that opened in Buffalo, and I knew it was doomed because on opening night, their headliner was Screech from... Oh, uh, no! Yeah, and he wasn't funny. <laughs> it wasn't good. He sucks. Yeah, no, he I'll awful. say that guy sucks. He's awful. <laughs> I think he He's put awful. out like a, a chess-slash-comedy dvd or something don't like get that. it no no <laughs> what does he, he like that guy see that's the shit that offends me it's those guys because he's he's banking on a celebrity from 30 years ago or 20 years ago when he was on saved by the bell and the, the the nostalgia factor people go like oh i'm gonna go see what dustin diamond's all about and then you sit there for five minutes you're like this is awful and it's like the thing like i think larry king said he wanted to go into stand-up comedy oh, you're no. like, you know what? <laughs> and i don't want to be this guy who's like oh you don't know how much how much hard work is, how much hard work goes into it. Because to be honest with you, people don't care. They don't want, they, they want the illusion that you're going up and making this stuff up on the fly. And I don't ever want to pull back the curtain on that. But when these guys like Larry King, Screech or whatever, just think they can go up and because they're a celebrity, like, oh, I'm going to go do a stand-up show. It's, it's a lot harder than that. A lot more preparation goes into it. And I'm happy when they fail. Screech has now <laughs> failed in TV. He's failed in porn. He's failed in stand-up comedy. But that's that. All right, Adam Rank, it sounds like you got some stuff going on there. Uh, we're going to let I you do. go. But uh, do you want to plug My other anything? boss, other than Dave Damashek, just walked in. Is there <laughs> anything you want to plug before we let you go? So I want to make sure you get it out there. Anything our listeners should do? I want to give you that opportunity. I do. I do want to say one more time, NFL Fantasy Live, it's on Sunday mornings. It would be at 1130, your guys' this time. Uh, it's on NFL.com. Or if you have NFL Network's Red Zone channel, Oh, you yeah. can plug that. You can reach us on Twitter, at NFL Fantasy. And every once in a while, we like to set lineups on the air. So if you can send a picture of your team, like a twit pic of your team, and send it to at NFL Fantasy with the hashtag set my lineup, you may have your lineup set on the air. And if you, if you, can, also, if you can also fit in a little hashtag of rank tank, that wouldn't help. That, or excuse me, that wouldn't hurt. <laughs> Your ch- actually, it probably won't help your chances. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I just ruined your chances right there of getting on. So like that, my personal Twitter's at Adam Rank, and that's it. I, I think I've, I've plugged as much as I could do. Oh, and if there's anybody in Buffalo who wants to fly out for the finals of the OC's Funniest, yeah, when's I'll that? be there. I'll be there on December 2nd. Very nice. All right, buddy, thanks for all the time. We had a great time. We'll talk to you soon. Guys, thanks so much. The pleasure's been all on this side of the phone. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, special thank you to Adam Rank for making his Sportscaster's debut. I also want to thank John Wertheim and Richard Sandemir for being on the show today. Next week, we are going to be speaking with James Andrew Miller, the author of ESPN. Those guys have all the fun making his second trip in. He is promoting the paperback version of that book. And I'm also working on... 
Well, Luke Wynn is going to be on the show next week or the week after. Same with Jimmy Traina. So we'll have uh, Luke Wynn and Jimmy Traina on soon. And I'm working really hard on Buzz Bissinger. And I think we're close. So he may or may not be on the show next week. But I'm working on it. So hopefully we will have Buzz Bissinger, which I think would be a ton of fun if his Twitter feed is any kind of indication of what kind of sportscaster's guest he would be. Uh, a reminder, check us out on Facebook. We're there, facebook.com slash the sportscasters. You can also find us on Twitter. We are sports underscore casters. Don is Don Likes Sports, and I am Diversity23. You can also email us anytime, the sportscasters at gmail.com. Our blog is the sportscasters.blogspot.com, and our website where you can find all of this is www.sports-casters.com. Don't forget to watch football with me on Sunday at ProPlayerInsiders.com. Pick four last week. Don and I both went one, two, and one. We both pushed in the Bengals versus Ravens game. We had the Bengals plus seven. They lost by seven. So we're just going to pretend like we didn't pick that game. So as far as the records go, we both went one One and two. two. I won the Titans over the Falcons. Titans getting seven points. It was 23-17. Don won the Patriots over the Chiefs. Patriots laying 12. Easily covered that. That was scary for a while, though. That could have been a nice, bold prediction. Minus 24, you would have won as well. <laughs> uh, Don's losses were the Bills plus one over Oof. the Dolphins. That didn't work. And also, he had the Ra- the Bengals outright over the Ravens. And at any given point during the day, that could have happened. For a, for a Buffalo podcast, we didn't really mention the Bills this week. But they're officially dead. That loss, in addition to them being dead, I think sets them back. I think it, it erases everything good they did. Uh they're a 500 team now, maybe. But they could get back on board with a win this week. They absolutely, the they absolutely could. It's just after the last three weeks, it's impossible as like a fan that's watched those games to see that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they went five and eleven, but I could also see them going nine and seven. Right, which probably wouldn't do anything anyway. I mean, I, I would probably just, rather have. I would five root and for five and eleven right. at this point if I'm a Bills fan, which sucks because of the start they had, but. uh Anyway. Oh, and my losses were I had the Broncos plus six. Wait, did I screw that up? Oh, I had the Jets. Okay, minus so, six. Right, minus six. <clears throat> so the Broncos covered that, and I had the Packers minus 28, and the Bucks held in with them all day. So, All right, this week's Game of the Week is a big college football showdown, uh, hopefully one that will screw the whole BCS up. Arkansas, number three, is getting 12 points against LSU, number one. It's in LSU. Yep. I'm rooting for chaos, though. So <coughs> I am going to take L- or Arkansas plus the 12, and uh, hopefully they win outright, and uh, we can blow this BCS up. I hope you're right, but I've picked LSU a number of times <laughs> yeah, on the have. podcast this year. So I'm not going to go against that because I don't think I've lost with LSU yet. So I'm going to take LSU and lay the 13. My host choice this week, the Broncos are getting seven points at the Chargers. This is a 4-15 game on Sunday. The Chargers have been a really strange team this year. As of the Broncos, I suppose, but as of late, the Broncos have really been on a roll. The Broncos are getting seven points, and the Chargers this year are only 2-8 and eight against the spread. So give wow. me the Broncos plus a touchdown. I love Thanksgiving football. I love watching the games all day. There's 
two really good ones and one okay one this week. So I'm going to pick the Packers minus six versus the Lions. Again, it's Thanksgiving Day. It's the first game, 12.30 p.m. on Fox. When else are you going to get the Packers and only have to lay six? <laughs> I just couldn't resist. Yeah. So I'm going to lay the points. I know the Lions play well on Thanksgiving. I think they'll keep it close for a while, but I think the Packers are going to win the game by two touchdowns. My worldwide leader pick this week is uh, the other Thanksgiving, or one of the other Thanksgiving giving day games. Uh, the Dolphins at the Cowboys, the uh, rematch of the Leon Leck game. Yeah. <laughs> That's the 415 game on CBS. The Cowboys are giving up seven points. I'll take the Cowboys. And look, they started this season bad. They looked like they were going to be out of a playoff spot. And now they find themselves right back in the hunt. Yeah, they rallied. I believe they're six and four. And. They got a big loss from the Giants last week. Right. They're in as good a spot as anybody to make the playoffs. So if they go out there and lay an egg in this game, then like the Bills, maybe they just don't deserve to be there. But I think that they're better than that, and I think they'll easily handle a Dolphins team by a, by a touchdown. The Giants couldn't beat the it's Eagles hard. at home. Oh, yeah. So there's no reason for me to believe that they're going to go to the Saints, to New Orleans, who have an unbelievable home field advantage, haven't yep. lost at home yet this year, and they're unbelievable at home at night. I mean, the the Dome is in, incredible in night games. So I'm going to take the Saints minus seven. That's a good Monday night football game, Saints and Giants, Monday at 8.30 on ESPN. I actually thought about the Giants for a second coming off a loss until I saw that the Saints are home, and they just don't lose at home anymore. Um, my bold prediction this week, I'm going <laughs> – I'm fully – off the bandwagon of my team, uh, the Bills are facing the Jets. The Jets are only an eight-point favorite, which to me is amazing. Uh, give me the Jets minus 16 in that game. I'll double up the spread and take them. I mean, the Bills haven't been able to keep teams within 30 lately, so there's no way for me to see this in New York going the Bills' way. All right. The three favorites on Thanksgiving Day are a combined minus 16. So I'm going to double that and take the three favorites at a combined minus 32. So basically, you add up all the winning scores, add up all the losing scores, and the favorite teams have to clear that by 32 points. What if one of the favorites loses? Then that would go against them, the opposite. Okay. You know what I mean? So they gotcha. would have the points. Those points would be added to it. Gotcha. So they'd have to make it up in one of the other games. So just... uh. Plus minus, I'm going to take the minus 32 for the favorites. Sounds good. All right. Again, I want to thank John Wertheim, Richard Sandemir, and Adam Rank. We will be back next week. Have a great Thanksgiving. Don Q the hip. And we're out. All right.